welcome here we are welcome everyone this is it it's happening right now this is the first ever episode of the don't crack up a commuters podcast thank you for being here thank you for listening my name is patrick patrick markey hello nice to meet you uh for those who i do know thanks thanks for listening uh i'm your host uh the purpose of this is to share some thoughts, give you something to listen to. Uh, as I mentioned, I am a commuter. I have been so for a decade now at this point. Um, many of you listening maybe have done far longer. Uh, but I will say in the last several years, it's sort of the rise or the, the, the advent or um, the increase in popularity of podcasts I have uh, partaken of podcasts and you know it's helped pass the time it's helped pass the, the the make the drive a little bit easier a little bit more enjoyable so trying to do the same thing share some thoughts and and more than anything I think let's try to create a community you know that's what we need in the year 2021 Obviously, the last uh, year has been difficult for everybody. We've been in a pandemic, and uh, now we're coming out of it, we think. And uh, there's some, some hope in the air, but but there's still some other things in the air. Uh, acts of violence, all kinds of things are happening. So, you know, let's try and make some some positive stuff, a supportive community, share thoughts. That's where I'm going with it. Why do it? Well... It's a fair question. Why not? Conversely, why do anything, huh? Well, let's give it a break. let's give it a chance. I want to each week just kind of check in with you, talk to you about something that I listened to, maybe a, a song that I've had on repeat, maybe both, a movie, movie of the week. Conversely, a movie that I watched this week. Either way you want to say it, uh, maybe a show that I watched to talk about it. And really, these are just uh, things, topics. Uh, to bring up as a means to just talk about life and everything. So uh, what, what does this art teach us? What is it saying to us? How does it speak to me? And does it speak to you? Uh, also going to have a, a check-in each week. That's the plan. My good friend, friend John, uh, Ba, he's going to join us um, with a, a, something that me and him getting together, just talking about stuff. Uh, you could call it celebrity check-in, and I'll explain why. I don't want you to be misled. So this will be celebrity with a lowercase c. A little tongue-in-cheek. I'll explain what I mean by that when I'm talking about John. Uh, and you can hear for yourself. Maybe if we dream big, someday it will be a capital letter C celebrity. Who knows? Uh, all I know is this is a low-budget production, ladies and gentlemen and, and everyone. Uh, this is a low-budget production. It's just me uh, with a computer and all that. So doing the best we can. Uh, give it a chance, okay? Uh, learning as we go. Uh, one thing is, you know, so like time codes and all that. Uh, doing the best I can with it, but, uh, you know, who knows? Uh, learn every week. Let's try and do that. Good life goals, you know? Um, also, uh, I'm going to talk about other things, like, did I read anything this week? Uh, I don't know about you, but if you are a commuter or an adult, someone with a career, all that kind of stuff, uh, found that the more time passes, the less that I read, unfortunately. Uh, Pre-commuting, I, I was a pretty uh, prodigious reader, if I say so. Not so humble brag there, how about that? 
and then as the time goes on, it's just disappeared. Uh, and so last year during the pandemic, I set a goal, uh, which I thought was a, a t- achievable goal. It was, which is finish 10 books. Now the key word there is finish because, uh, I don't know about you, but I've got a stack of books where I read some of it stopped, put it on the stack, read some of it stopped. And so the stack has accumulated. And so if one of those books were to be finished, it would count as, as one of the 10. So check in each week. Maybe if there's some accountability each week and I check in with you, maybe I'll, maybe I'll reach that goal. Cause I'll tell you this year, the month is May, the year is 2021. And, uh, there's only one book that I've finished so far. So trying to work on that. Um, another thing is each week I want to check in and, and, and talk, at least that's the plan right now about the show party down The show uh, it was aired on stars in 2009, 2010. And I think that it encompasses everything that I would like to, uh, achieve with this podcast, which is, it is the ultimate show about community, community support through difficult times, through, uh, sorrow and, and, and success and everything in between and the value of, uh, relationships over, uh, the decisions to, I don't know, follow mindless things. Uh, I think I'll articulate it better. Will you, will you give me a chance, please, if you listen all the way to the end? And that's just something each week when I talk, touch on a different topic when it comes to the show. I'm going to keep doing that uh, for the foreseeable future. Uh, give myself some leeway. I might run out of topics, so maybe I'll stop. Uh, this week might be a little bit longer than others just because it's kind of an intro, getting everything going. And so uh, the party down discussion at the end of the episode uh, is kind of an overview of all the characters. So it might take a little bit longer than... In future episodes, but who knows? You know, it, it, it's it's a week to week thing. I'm just learning as I go along. So, the hope is that uh, there will be, you know, more interactive uh, experience as it goes on. That there's maybe a mailbag type situation. Uh, you can email uh, the show at do not crack up podcast at gmail dot com or don't crack up podcast at gmail dot com without an apostrophe. I tried, but uh, it was not allowed. You're not allowed to put an apostrophe in the address. Uh, also, uh, Twitter, A Commuters Pod. No apostrophe again. A C O M M U T E R S P O D. And you got to at that, right? At A Commuters Pod. So uh, if you have comments, uh, let me know. Um, and I'll look at them and uh, share them if they're you know, appropriate, or if you, unless you say, do not share this, then I will respect that, but, uh, reach out and, uh, see if you're listening and let me know your thoughts. Uh, some of the things I bring up, if I miss something, errors, please let me know. I'm particularly interested in your thoughts also, the party down, uh, the things that John and I talk about, things you're watching, listening to, are you reading, are you trying to read, let me know. Bear with me, if you will, if you're that kind of person, if you're a patient person, but maybe you aren't. And if not, I apologize. Um, so this episode ended up going way longer than expected. It's almost three hours, so uh, I know you're a busy person. If you have an app with any, the ability to increase the playback speed, I uh, advise that. I recommend that. Um, the other thing is, here's some cheat codes if you want to skip ahead. If you want to hear the part, um, what I'm listening to, uh, that starts around the nine-minute mark. If you want to hear the movie of the week discussion, uh, very special this week, 
uh, In the Mouth of Madness, The Empty Man, and the Lizzie Kaplan Shared Universe. That starts around the 19-minute mark. Uh, the discussion of what I read this week, that's at the uh, hour and two-minute mark. If you want to hear the check-in with Mr. John Baugh, that starts around the one hour and seven minute mark. And then finally, the first uh, installment of our Party Down discussion, that starts around the one hour, 36 minute mark. Here we go. Are you ready? Insert some music. was first thing uh i found you know if you're a commuter and i don't want to limit this to commuting whether you're a a non-commuter or you're a vacuumer or you're a treadmill walker whoever you are uh glad to be with you and so uh you're a video game player right put your headphones on while you're playing the game here listen to this and think hmm drift away Let's try it. So, uh, listening is obviously a big part of entertainment uh, in the the commuter lifestyle. Um, And how far things have come in a decade. Because a decade ago, I think I was, you know, obviously CDs and, uh, you know, regular radio kind of stuff. And then, you know, I had the phone and plug it in. Then Bluetooth uh, and uh, the rise of everything satellite radio and of course that's been around for a while but i have it now you know and it it does make a difference particularly driving and dead spots and all that stuff it's nice to be able to hear something but then again as i said uh you know podcasts with different topics and a big inspiration i'll tell you right now is last year there was a podcast called way down in the hole on the the ringer network which you could listen to on i think it's on spotify with uh, jamel hill and van latham it was really excellent really excellent discussion of every episode of The Wire, and uh, I found it very inspiring, very thought-provoking, and so here we are. Not to say that it's going to be anywhere near <laughs> near what they did, because what they did is really excellent. So I advise you to listen to that. Um, of course, watch The Wire, great show. And so having said that, you know, what's something that I was listening to this week? Well, I'm going to tell you, and that is, uh, in the last several years, I did do the, the audiobook thing with Audible. You know, there was a long time people said, you got to listen to the audiobook. So I don't know if you remember, uh, at least in my lifetime, it was, you know, like a bunch of cassette tapes uh, for one book, and then it was uh, a bunch of CDs for one book. And now in our digital world, it's very easy. You get the app, right? You press a button, and all of a sudden, you've got you've got uh, you got the whole book right there. And so uh, this last week, I heard a truly truly excellent audiobook, which was The Metamorphosis and Other Stories by Franz Kafka. And what made this particularly excellent was the narration. I got it on Audible, and the narrator is George Guidall. I'm probably butchering the uh, pronunciation, G-U-I-D-A-L-L. I can't say enough good things about his narration. You'd say, how do you narrate Kafka? And this is how you do it, I think. Um, He does such an excellent job of, of delivering the prose in that uh, he, he conveys the, the dignity that the characters speak with, even in the most absurd of situations. And of course, if you're, you know, a Kafka beginner, starting with the metamorphosis is always a good idea. Uh, and 
this narrator really brings out the humor, but at the same time, the tragedy. And I think it's really a testament to his skill that you're going along, the narrator's delivery of something that's happening, you laugh, and then a minute later, you know, sort of the gravity of the tragedy strikes, and, uh, and you feel that as well. This particular collection, and I mean, I, I, the public, it says recorded books. Uh, that's like the, the company, I guess. I, I don't know. It's, it's uh, again, narrated by George Guidal. Length, 8 hours, 41 minutes. I'm trying to give you some distinguishing things so that you can tell uh, what that is, who, who did this. This particular translation is a little bit different. It's by uh, Joachim Nuragozichel. Man, I just totally butchered that. I'm so sorry to that man. Last name spelled N-E-U-G-R-O-S-C-H-E-L. Forgive me, sir, for butchering your name, but an excellent job translating. Uh, there's sort of an explanation of some changes he made, uh, including um, changing bug to vermin. Really, and, and, and he gives a great explanation of where that came from uh, for the metamorphosis. So, can't, uh, really can't, recommend it enough to you. And what's interesting about this collection is, you know, I have a book that says the complete works of Kafka. This has works that are not in the quote unquote complete work. It has some, some short writings that I hadn't heard before. Um, so really, really excellent stuff. Uh, the judgment I think is a standout. If you know that story, uh, sort of a father and son, definitely not a heartwarming story, but hilarious at times. And then absolutely tragic as well. And uh, the, the, the tension between the father and son and, and, and the rising the rising tension and, and surrealism, you have to say it, of course, right? Isn't that a little cliche? But yes, um, the, the, the surrealism of, of the moment, of the argument, of the confrontation. Uh, but all the familial uh, themes, they are so well expressed uh, by this narrator. So strongly, strongly recommended. Again, that's the metamorphosis and other stories. Uh, by Kafka and I have to say I, I played the metamorphosis this particular narration to someone who had never uh, read it before and to that person's credit immediately they said why isn't the family helping <laughs> Gregor and uh, boom excellent excellent point and the narration makes it all the better at the end when the sister makes the the famous line talking about how you know they had done everything they could for him and the pain that goes with that but um Really, really excellent. Again, sorry to, to repeat the word, but I just, I cannot offer enough praise. That is a great, great narration. Great translation, great narration. Uh, that man also has uh, audio uh, books that he narrates for the, the trial, for the castle, for America. And I think it especially works well for America because it does have uh, that kind of absurdist humor to it. Uh, so... Highly recommend it. I also want to tell you a song on repeat each week. I'm going to try and check in and tell you what song I had on repeat this week. Uh, it's a habit that's formed over the years, I think, particularly um, commuting. I don't know. It's almost like a meditative practice or a distraction. Song catches my attention and can't always articulate why, uh, but it does in a particular week. Press the button. It's on repeat and listen to it. Uh, this week I'm going to tell you about Starry Night by Iggy Pop. S-T-A-R-R-Y. Starry Night. Uh, this is from the album Brick by Brick. 1990. That's a CD I got used for five bucks. I don't know, eight, nine years ago at a 
We used uh, CD stores. Everybody remember those? Do they still exist? Of course they do, but I don't know if uh, they're they're as frequented as they used to be. So um, it's a song that it's a song that has this sort of this poppy element to it, right? And you, you, it starts playing. You think, oh, this is it's kind of like a dancey pop song. Wasn't expecting that from from Iggy Pop. Uh, and then Iggy starts singing. And the lyrics are just an absolute scathing takedown of uh, modern life and society and civilization even. Uh, the album as a whole uh, is really, really great. Uh, Iggy has, there's some really great songs. If, you, if you're my age and you remember Beavis and Butthead, uh, the, the video for Butt Town played. And they, Beavis and Butthead got a big kick out of that. Uh, but by the way, that's a great song. Uh, and this whole album has just Iggy going after it, going after modern life uh, in, in, in only the way he can because it's so thoughtful. And really Starry Night's a cheerful song, but he's cheerfully just tearing down um, the conventions that we hold on to. And he's saying there's a better way. The song has that that catchy hook, and coupled with the lyrics, I think that's it. It just it's a it's a song that I put on repeat because I, I just love it. It's there. I want to stay with it. I want it to keep going, and uh, it makes me smile just to hear him uh, tearing down it, it, tearing down uh, cities and and pop culture and ever and. At one point, there's a sort of this apocalyptic vis vision of the future, but it's all but it's done so cheerfully, which which makes it incredible. I'll also say it's a great, in my opinion, uh, a sunny day type song. Uh, imagine yourself driving down the highway, not much traffic, sunny, feeling good, and the, and starry night. Iggy Pop from the album Brick by Brick. You got it playing. And uh, puts a nice smile on your face, even as he sneers at all of us. So thank you, Iggy Pop, for that. All right, there we go. That's just a sample. Something I was listening to today, that's kind of the idea and where we're going. So thank you. Next section, next topic. Let's hear it. Let's get a little, little music break. Here it is. Checking back with you, uh, movie of the week, alternatively titled uh, a movie I watched this week, uh, or a show that I watched this week. Well, here we go. You ready for this? Try and go big with some 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 real serious content here. All right, isn't that what everybody wants? You got to have content. You got to put stuff out there. So follow me here. Follow me. Um, I recently rewatched In the Mouth of Madness, John Carpenter, uh, his movie starring Sam Neill. And if you know this movie, uh, first of all, it's one of my favorites. I, I just love it. Um, you have John Trent, our main character, played by Sam Neill. He's a private investigator. He's searching for a missing person. That missing person is uh, this horror author, Sutter Kane. And Sutter Kane is so popular. Uh, his, his work is so influential that it's having an effect on people. People are going mad. Okay, And that's the setup of the movie. What the movie is really about is this idea of you know fiction 
becoming reality and and fiction having a tangible effect on people uh the influence of of people and people being driven mad by thought and fiction and then that manifesting into reality and then ultimately altering reality and i think it's done really well uh i then watched a movie from 2020 this was i think two nights in a row called the empty man and here's at least the surface plot of the empty man we meet this main character i think he used to be a police officer guess what he's searching for a missing person hmm does that sound familiar and this whole plot develops in which thought is becoming manifest and thought is having a tangible effect on reality and is ultimately altering reality. And I thought, this is unbelievable. I did not realize the, the, the connection between the two, but it made me think, right? I mean, here we go. We've got these two plots, uh, so many identical elements, um, but done differently. And I really enjoy both of them. And I recommend both of them. Uh, Amazon, you can, you can watch them both on there, rent them, buy them, whatever. So that's how I got them. Now, Get ready for this. Here's where the big bang, the big uh, content, here we go, something to think about. Well, uh, as a change of pace, I had seen a movie after, though, after seeing In the Mouth of Madness, after seeing The Empty Man called Save the Date. And what is Save the Date? Well, that's a 2012 movie. Uh, I guess it's an independent movie. I don't know, but you'd call it a character study. Uh, and it stars... America's greatest living actor, Lizzie Kaplan. And uh, can't say enough good things about her. I'll talk about, obviously, her and her performance as Casey Klein in Party Down. But I just, I think she's the best. Uh, why do I think that? Well, I'll explain. It's the range. I mean, first of all, she's, she's pretty fearless in the roles that she's taken. But it's the range uh, because as you know party down that's a comedic role but even within that comedic role there's some pretty serious moments uh and, and she does such a great job with it but these other varied roles um she goes from a movie which i'll talk more about called love is the drug aka addicted to her love a 2006 movie in which there's nothing comedic about it uh it's a it's a performance where she's basically crying and devastated for half the movie and right at that same time, she's in a laugh track sitcom called The Class. And the range is just incredible. I don't think many people could pull it off. And there's also, can't believe I'm going to say it, this is as high a compliment as I can give. There is a Sid Barrett quality to the performances. If you know Sid, he was not uh, you know, classically trained as a musician. But I think he's one of the greatest guitarists of all time because of the expressiveness uh, he was able to convey something real through talent and and just through uh creativity and uh same thing here i don't think she was classically trained as an actor and i think that's to her benefit because there's just something genuine uh and and just uh expressive and exuberant and just and you know take something that otherwise might be dull and 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 really limes it up and that's why i say america's greatest living actor having said that this movie i'm going to talk first about save the date she stars as a character named sarah it's in los angeles uh she has a sister played by allison brie 
it's a pretty straightforward movie in that you have two characters, um, two sisters, and it's kind of the the the, 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 the differences between them, right? What to save the date, you know, uh, marking a date for a wedding. One character, Allison Bree's character, is going to get married to a person played by Martin Starr. She's all about getting married to the detriment of everything else. She's focused on getting married. Conversely, our main character, our protagonist, Sarah, played by the great Lizzie Kaplan, uh, is not interested in that type of commitment. And uh, to the detriment of possibly committing to, to someone who might be good for her, she is, she is resistant and rebellious against it. So what's going to happen? Will they grow? Hmm. Well, I, I don't want to spoil save the date, but I'm going to anyway, yes, they will grow. So, uh, it's it's well done it's uh, but like i say it's a pretty straightforward um straightforward character study and you think okay well great now how does that follow in the mouth of madness and an empty man get ready for this okay the commuter special uh it was like a monday afternoon well, evening i'm driving home i'm on the highway and i'm thinking about nothing in particular as often happens let's say the radio's playing i don't know maybe a song was on and out of nowhere, I thought, you know, boy, those were similar plot elements in in The Mouth of Madness and Empty Man. Then I thought, well, remember Save the Date? Lizzie Kaplan playing a character named Sarah in Los Angeles? That sounds familiar. Boom, it hit me. As I mentioned to you just now, this other movie called... Uh, Love is the Drug, a.k.a. Addicted to Her Love. I, they changed the title, I guess. And in that movie, she plays, yeah, you guessed it, a character named Sarah living in Los Angeles. Uh, both movies involve a plot with two, two men, two guys that uh, like uh, Lizzie Kaplan's Sarah. Um, so you have that parallel. Uh, that doesn't really extend very much beyond that because this movie, Addicted to Her Love, is it's really something. Uh, it's 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 memorable. It's pretty wild. It's um, difficult to watch, and what I mean is hard to get. You can't rent it on Amazon or, or iTunes, to my knowledge. I don't think it's on any streaming service. So, unfortunately. As I encourage you to watch everything that Lizzie Kaplan has made, one of the issues that you run into is a lot of this stuff is not necessarily available. Um, I don't know why. So with everything streaming and all that, you wouldn't think that's possible, but yet it is. So if you want to see this movie, you're going to have to be dedicated. You might have to go on eBay or whatever, but I'm going to tell you I have a copy of it. Why do I have a copy? Why would you get a copy of that? Here's your, here's your answer. Uh, Something brought this up, you know, you're doing a, you're reading about another movie, it mentions this movie, click through, and in the process of searching, I see this movie, and the reason I had to get a copy and see it is because the quote on the front, you know, they put those quotes on the front, that's uh, to make you, I guess, want to watch the movie, but the quote on the front of this movie, which I have in my right hand, you hear that? That's the sound of it. You're going to have to take my word for it. You can't see it, but I'm telling you it's there. The quote on the front of this is, Fast Times at Ridgemont High meets kids. And that's a quote from Stuart Allison from the independent film Quarterly. 
And the reason I had to get that is like, what movie, what movie would be Fats Times at Ridgemont High meets Kids? Uh, what would that look like? If you remember Fast Times, you know, Sean Penn playing Spicoli and the whole swimming pool scene, all that kind of stuff. But meets Kids. Kids being the 1995 Larry Clark film. Uh, and if you're of my age, I think it came out to rent when I was in eighth grade. And one of my friends was able to rent it. And we watched it unbeknownst to uh, my parents. Uh, you don't forget it if you've seen Kids. Uh, the, the movie about um, teenagers, I guess even pre-teenagers, and the spread of uh, HIV. And uh, it's quite a shocking film. Anybody I know that has seen kids knows they've seen kids. And even people, one person in particular I'm thinking of who maybe doesn't have a great memory for details, even they can tell you the details of kids because it was that uh, shocking and impactful. So for a movie to invoke kids on the cover, what the heck could this be? Well, just to make things even more confusing, it's sort of marketed, or at least the, when it, they changed the name from Love is the Drug you remember that's a Roxy Music song. Uh, I'm not really sure how that fits with the movie either. Uh, to Addicted to Her Love, okay? And then it's got Lizzie Kaplan uh, kind of prominently displayed. And you think, okay, well, what is this about? Well, uh, a little bit of spoilers here. I'm sorry. I'm going to have to do it because, first of all, it's a 15-year-old movie. So, you know, forgive me. It's not like it's just dropped on, you know... Was that early access or whatever? It's in the movie theater. It's not okay, so bear with me. But this movie is—it's um, really something. <laughs> um, I would say it's really misleading and a disservice to the movie is calling it addicted to her love or calling it love is the drug. I think a more—forgive uh, me for second guessing the filmmaker and whatever—but I think a more apt title would have been something like "The Destruction of Sarah" or "Someone." send help to Sarah because what happens in this movie is while you start off following this guy Jonah it's a elite high school and he's kind of the outcast okay and you sort of follow his story and it's presented one way like oh this you know this poor guy he's the outcast nobody cares about him and he's he's really into Lizzie Kaplan's Sarah the movie begins and she finally notices him okay and so the first 45 minutes in some ways are kind of a traditional film, right? He's the, he's the outsider and he, he's, he's, he's after, um, Sarah, he wants to be around her any way possible. And his way in is that he, uh, basically steals drugs for the, for this clique, this group that uh, hangs out at Sarah's house. Sarah's mom is overseas and she's kind of an absentee parent or she is an absentee parent. And so, you know, first 45 minutes is kind of, it's something you've seen before. Then, then things change. 45 minutes in this movie, a tragedy strikes. Uh, a, a character dies. And not only does the character die, but he dies in a car and they end up having to drive his corpse back to his parents' house. And from that moment, it goes from being, you know, this uh, kind of high school uh, unrequited love story to something totally different uh then you know an hour into it there's just an incredible escalation uh, escalate escalation of tragic tragic things happening to sarah uh and lizzie kaplan's character spends the last 45 minutes just 
being absolutely devastated as a person, just crying, um, assaulted, all kinds of just terrible things happening to her. And throughout this movie, it's playing this kind of like coffee shop music. And you're watching a thing like, what is this? No, (laughs) that's not what's happening on screen. And as the movie goes on, the last half hour is just this increasing, like a murder mystery breaks out. You've got, you know, just watching it with like, what is happening? And it ends with Lizzie Kaplan being confronted by a, 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 a character wielding scissors. Uh, and ultimately there's a stabbing. Uh, someone stabs themselves in the heart. And no one goes to help that person, by the way, as the movie ends. And so while you're led to believe it's this, oh, you know, this outcast kid, boy, we feel so bad for him. Um, no, he's a villain. And it, the last moment of the movie, it's like a Bond villain reveal where it's, aha, I was behind it the whole time. It's, it's incredible. I mean, it's, it is memorable. And her performance is great. I mean, really, again, think of someone who's on a, a network laugh track sitcom, uh, which was The Class. And right around this time, she's making this. So uh, it, it just really, just really great stuff. And by the way, all the performances, I think, are great in that movie, Addicted to Her Love. It's just the movie itself is uh, off-putting, I would say, based on the way it's sort of marketed, the way it's sort of packaged, um, when instead, it, I mean, it gets very, very dark in the last 45 minutes. And you think, what the heck? What just happened? I can't believe what I just saw. And then it ends... And the credits roll with like a, a sad love song, coffee shop type song. You think, what? Okay, so getting back to the In the Mouth of Madness, Empty Man parallel. As I was driving, I realized, wait a second. Save the date. Lizzie Kaplan plays Sarah in Los Angeles. A plot with, you know, two, two, two gentlemen, two dudes that are, that are, that want to be with uh, that character. Coffee, you know, um, lo-fi type coffee house music, although it, it's appropriate in Save the Date, it makes sense. Uh, and then, wait a second, addicted to her love. Sarah, uh, Los Angeles, two guys. Now, to be fair, again, it's not to beat a dead horse, as they say, but addicted to her love. This guy, the, the the main character that we're supposed to feel sorry for, Jonah, he's not addicted to Lizzie Kaplan's love. She she does nothing to put off that she's in love with him in any way. Uh, he's creepy. He's a creepy guy. And that's what's so off-putting about calling it addicted to her love. That character, Sarah, uh, loves this other guy, Troy, and she's pretty explicit about it. And Troy really doesn't do anything to, to, to Jonah. But anyway, so... That is really something. So I have thought, okay, here we go. You know? Um, and there's also another thing, which was Addicted Her Love has these, like, overhead shots where these people are, like, uh, laying on the bed, and it's, like, torso up, where they're just, I guess they're just hanging out or whatever. And, and it's, I think it's to make you see that these people are in contemplation or it's just, like, a close view. This is the whole world, these two people together. And what I noticed is you have similar shots to that in Save the Date. And I thought, wait a second, is this, is this an Easter egg? Is this a, is, <laughs> is Save the Date? Uh, does it have Easter eggs for Addicted to Her Love, a.k.a. Love is the Drug? 
And then I thought, and again, this is some content creation, a little, uh, a little mind game to, to pass the time. What about, you know, all the rage right now are universes, right? Uh, cinematic universes. Well, what if uh, Save the Date is the keystone, the center of the Lizzie Kaplan shared cinematic universe? Uh, think about this for a second. In Save the Date, there's this character, Jonathan. And all the main characters talk about what a great guy is, right? They make a point. Everyone, boy, you're so great. There has to be something else wrong with you. You're so great. You're so great. And the reason they do that is so that there's no excuse for the Sarah character to not go with uh, Jonathan or be with Jonathan. But what does that remind you of, folks? To all, to all you all you moviegoers out there, a movie in which the main characters are praising Jonathan. Hmm. Or what about praising Johnny? And what a great guy Johnny is. That's right. That's right. The room. Uh, so we've got the save the date with these parallels or Easter egg to the room. Hmm. Well, think about this. The room uh, starring... Tommy Wiseau and Greg Sestero. Greg Sestero wrote a book called The Disaster Artist about the making of the, the room. You know what? They made a movie out of that. Guess who had a cameo in that movie? That's right. Lizzie Kaplan as herself. Guess who starred in that movie? Yeah, you're right. It's James Franco. Seth Rogen's in that movie. Guess what other movies James Franco and Seth Rogen were in together? The interview. You know who's in that? Yeah, that's right. Lizzie Kaplan. She plays a CIA agent. Going back to the Sarah theme, a show called Freaks and Geeks. Remember that one? Seth Rogen's in it. James Franco's in it. Lizzie Kaplan's in it. Guess what her character's name is? Yeah, you guessed right. Sarah. Although it's not in uh, Los Angeles. I think it's in Michigan. So we get all these themes. Think about this. Save the date, right? Units of time, 127 hours. There's another James Franco movie. Lizzie Kaplan's in that one. So we, what, what I want you to do, if you're really a dedicated fan, I need you to do me a favor here and make like a, like a, a chart or like one of those uh, Always Sunny memes, you know, where Charlie, it's the episode, uh, Sweet D has a heart attack and he's got the whole Pepe Sylvia thing. I need you to do that for me, okay? In the center... It's going to be save the date. It's going to say that at the top, Lizzie Kaplan shared cinematic universe on the top left side. Let's have uh, in the mouth of madness over to empty man. And then uh, a line up to the shared cinematic universe uh, text and then a line down to uh, save the date. And then over on the side would be addicted uh, to her love. And now we're doing these other branches. Okay. The room disaster artists, the interview, uh, Freaks and Geeks, 127 Hours. Oh, Seth Rogen, also in a movie called The Night Before. Remember that? The Christmas movie. Uh, guess who's in that one? Yeah, you're right. Lizzie Kaplan's in that one as well. And, and, if you have seen that movie, you would know that the very last scene has sort of like a jump forward in time in which her character is uh, eating a meal with the male protagonist. All the couples are there. You know what other movie has that exact same ending? Yeah, that's right. Hot Tub Time Machine. Guess who's in that? Lizzie Kaplan's in that. 
same thing happens in it. Time leap forward. She's there with the male protagonist, played by John Cusack. All the other sort of main characters are there. Family, get-together, meal. And by the way, if you ever saw that movie, did you ever ask yourself, like, they, they've leaped back in time forward and they've taken these other people's lives and they're openly talking about it at the meal and no one seems to think that it's odd or disturbing because the people who weren't on the time leap were spending time with other people who were inhabiting the same body. I don't know. It's hot tub time machine, I guess. Don't think too much about it. All right. Well, <laughs> uh, <laughs> all right, we're on a roll now, okay? We are on a role. So let's think a little bit more about this. Save the date. Here's an easy one. Martin Starr's in it. Martin Starr, of course, plays Roman in Party Down. Lizzie Kaplan plays Casey Klein in Party Down. So we got an easy connection there. Okay, easy line to draw down there. Here's another easy one. If we've gone from Party Down, now, of course, there's a whole bunch of people that she worked with in that. Um, Adam Scott being Henry Pollard. They're in a relationship on and off in that. So that's an easy one there. Uh, oh, by the way, here's another little fun little fun uh, connection to make. Lizzie Kaplan's in uh, Hot Tub Time Machine 1. Adam Scott is in Hot Tub Time Machine 2. So we got a connection there. Uh, of course, the Party Down connection. Uh, there are a couple in that on and off. That takes us over to the movie Bachelorette. There are a couple on and off in that. By the way, I think that's a really good movie you should see, Bachelorette. It's not at all what it's... Another movie that I don't think is really... It's not what you think it is, maybe based on marketing. It's a much more kind of serious uh, movie uh, with comedy, of course, but it touches on some pretty heavy topics. Uh, Bachelorette, I'm talking about. Adam Scott's in that as well. Relationship or on and off with Lizzie Kaplan. That movie... Bachelorette takes place in New York City. So here's another easy line to make over. Cloverfield, right? She's in that. Cloverfield. Uh, monster invading. All that kind of stuff. Now you see me too. The magical heist movie. Well, there's an easy connection there. Uh, let's go save the date. Martin Starr. Also in Party Down. Um, the Adam Scott connection. Also in Bachelorette. Here we go, Bachelorette, uh, st also starring uh, Isla Fisher. She's one of the three main characters, along with Kirsten Dunst. Isla Fisher in the first Now You See Me, not in the second, and that role was taken by, that's right, you guessed it, Lizzie Cap. If you want to get back to the, the Party Down connections, spoiler, sorry, uh, the couple kind of reconciles, uh, Henry and Casey in uh, season two, episode six, the not on your wife opening night episode. Uh, but come on, I, I told you I was going to talk all about the show and, and it is 11, 12 years old. So forgive me on that, but I'm, I'm going to talk about it anyway. That particular episode of party down season two, episode six was directed by David Wayne of the state. And guess what? She had a part in his show called Wayney Days. So there we go. There's another, uh, there's another kind of easy one there. Um, now think about this for a second, getting back to the save the date. Remember we've got some branches connected here, there, everywhere. Save the date. 
We've got the two sisters, the two different, you know, worldviews or life philosophies. Again, will they meet somewhere in the middle by the end? Hmm. Let's let's watch and find out. Uh, but think about that. Two, two-sided. The Roman god Janus, the two-faced god. That's right. She plays a character named Janus in Mean Girls. Okay, so that one right there, that crosses Mean Girls off the list. All right. Now, think about some things that happen in Save the Date. There's a whole scene with uh, uh, the character getting drunk. Hmm, what else does it happen in? That's right, if you've seen the movie Frankie Go Boom, uh, starring the guy, Lizzie Kaplan, along with the, the guy, I'm sorry, his name escapes me, he's the star of Pacific Rim and Sons of Anarchy. Uh, he, uh, that movie starts and she's drunk on a bike, her character in that movie. And... In that movie, if you've seen it, which you may not have, because it's another one that I don't think you can stream anywhere. I think if you want to see it, you're going to have to buy the DVD or what have you. In that movie, the character uh, is going to go to work in China. Well, guess what? She played a lawyer on the show New Girl. And in that show, yeah, that's right. Her uh, her character went to work in China. All right, so we got another one crossed off the list. I'm trying to trying to get as many as I can uh, with the caveat I can I'm only mentioning ones that I have actually seen at least uh, all or most of or a part of how about that go to the IMDV go to the Wikipedia you're gonna see all kinds of uh, roles and all that and maybe I'm, I'm missing some of them and when it's all said and done and I'm sorry about that and you know what email me tweet whatever and tell me about the ones that I missed if you can make a direct connection to something that happens or someone that appears and save the date or you can make a connection from save the date to something else to something else follow me on that okay here's another one get ready for this in the movie save the date you got the character getting sick throwing up on the side of the road yeah that's right she was in a show called uh ill behavior uh in that show if you saw it she was a uh, uh what was she a drug addicted uh oncologist in in England somewhere uh so we got that now get ready for this her real life husband uh was the cancer patient in that movie ill behavior or, I'm sorry it wasn't a movie it was a show it was like a five or six part series she her real life husband was uh the care the character with cancer in ill behavior you know what? He also has a role in the movie Extinction. So there, we got a connection over there. Okay, if you saw Extinction, uh, it's a Netflix movie. It's uh, kind of like a Twilight Zone episode almost um, with uh, Michael Pena also um, starring in it along with her. They're a, they're a married couple. I won't tell you the twist on that one. That's newer, I guess. So I'm not going to, or is there a twist? I don't know. See it and, and find out. So, so uh, I, that's probably within the time frame of, of spoilers, I guess. So I'll, I'll, I won't say any more about that one. All right. So, uh, hmm, we've got some good ones checked off. All right, we've got some more things to think about here. We've got some more things to think about here. Okay, I got it. I got it. Um, she was on the Apple show, um, Apple TV, called Truth Be Told. Uh, you know who else was in that show? Aaron Paul. Hmm, well, how do we get from truth be told to save the date? Well, number one, 
the sisters theme. The difference being, in truth be told, uh, she played both sisters, or twins, in Save the Date. One sister is played by Lizzie Kaplan, one is played by Alison Brie. Think about this, Alison Brie, the voice of Diane in BoJack Horseman, and Aaron Paul, the voice of Todd in BoJack Horseman. So we've got two connections. You, you can either go Save the Date, Alison Brie, to... to to uh, Aaron Paul to truth be told or you just go directly with the sisters connection also there was a I don't know it was WB or UPN show called related in which she played uh, a sister like one of four sisters I don't know maybe the mom died or, or something like that you know and they're living life and all that kind of stuff and so that show boom there's another one checked off the list what do you think about that um, alright alright we're on a roll Oh, another Alison Brie connection. Get ready for this. Uh, if you saw, you know, if you, Alison Brie, great actor. Uh, she was in a show called Mad Men. You may remember that. She played the wife of Pete Campbell. Um, the name of that character escapes me, other than, it, than I think I'm accurately describing, or she was at least for part of the show, the wife of Pete Campbell. Well, the actor who played Pete Campbell also had a role in uh, the show from a couple years ago, Das Boot, I'm, I'm butchering it, I'm sorry, I don't speak German, forgive me to anyone who's listening uh, who knows the right way to say it. I blew it, I'm sorry, and I don't know the correct pronunciation. Das, I'm going to do it again, sorry, Das Boot, and it's my shot at it. Well, guess what? Uh, this is a remake, it was a TV series, not the, not the movie. Well, Lizzie Kaplan's in that also. In that particular show she played a what a morphine addicted uh, resistance fighter so there we go yet another uh, connection is made let's 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 make some more conspiratorial uh, lines okay do you get this this is a this is a, a game we're playing here or is it or is it the empty man making thought into reality uh, I don't know because here's another thing get ready for this uh, Here's, here's a stretch. All right, so there's a movie called The Last Rites of Ransom Pride. Uh, Lizzie Kaplan as a outlaw trying to recover the body of uh, Ransom Pride. Um, hmm, okay, we got an acting connection because Peter Dinklage was in that movie. And, uh, of course, he was in Game of Thrones, as everyone knows. Well, the actor who played, uh, was it Jackin or the Faceless Man, was in... Das Boat. He's, a, he's the villainous uh, SS officer. So there we go. There's the connection there. Also a hat. <laughs> it's a stretch, I know, but Ransom Pride, that character, wears a hat. Das Boat, uh, I think the resistance fighter has a hat. What do you think about that? They're both rebellious kind of outlaw characters. Huh. Okay, that's a better one. I like that better. All right, so we got that. Uh, oh, here's another connection. Das Boat, uh, World War II. Hey, it's a movie called Ally, Brad Pitt. Uh, Lizzie Kaplan had a role in that, as Brad Pitt's sister, also uh, in the military. So we got a connection there. So we got to go, uh, <laughs> we've got to go Alison Brie to, uh, to the actor from Mad Men who played Pete Campbell, to Das, uh, to das Boat. Uh, and then again, I, I'm sorry, I keep saying it. I just keep doubling down on the wrong pronunciation. So forgive me for that one, folks. Uh, forgive me for that one. Oh, here's another good one, a party down parallel. So party down, one of the things that happens is, you know, it's a party, but 
most people aren't really having a good time in particular you know the hosts uh something something blows up something goes bad well allied if you've seen that there's a a party scene which uh our main characters aren't, aren't having a good time and uh they're pretty pretty stressed out uh for for good reason As, does that meet the spoiler threshold that was like what 2016 you know there's a whole thing of who's a spy who isn't a spy all that so uh, there's another parallel there, okay? A party that's really not very fun. Also, there's a bombing, so it particularly bad. Um, let's see, Children's Hospital. Remember that? That was an adult swim show. Well, you got all kinds of easy parallels there acting-wise because Megan Mullally, uh, who was in Party Down, is, is in Children's Hospital. And in fact, Lizzie Kaplan played her daughter. But just to make things... Uh, more confusing or, or more complicated for our little board here. Uh, Lizzie Kaplan also played her character, Casey Klein, in uh, Children's Hospital. It's like a post-credit scene. All right, Ken Marino also. That's an easy one. Ken Marino from Party Down was in Children's Hospital as well. Okay, we need to get a little bit more challenging here. Are you ready for this? Let's, 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 let's go a little bit. Uh, we've missed some real obvious ones. Uh, somehow we got to fit, uh, the show masters of sex into the board. How do we, how do we do that? Well, uh, I would say that uh, if you've seen at least particularly season one of, uh, masters of sex, there is a, uh, two, two men that, uh, would like to be with Lizzie Kaplan's character. Of course, in masters of sex, she plays Virginia Johnson, just like what happens in save the date, right? Uh, so we got that. We've got the whole two two, two guys that really uh, want to be the one that is with uh, Lizzie Kaplan. You also could do uh, Party Down because uh, the character who plays the film producer, let's say, at the Sensation Awards, uh, season one, episode five, uh, plays Virginia Johnson's husband in uh, The Masters of Sex. So we got that connection also. Oh, and here's an easy one. Uh, save the date. You have uh, the Sarah character going to a uh, clinic, an abortion clinic, leaving. Same thing happens in Masters of Sex, uh, season three. And uh, that character, uh, Virginia Johnson, of course she's a real person, but it's Lizzie Kaplan portraying her. That character appears in The Simpsons, or at least the voice does. So there's a connection over there. Um, oh, here's a good one. Sarah Silverman. The actor, the actor, as you may know, uh, has a role, a recurrent role in Masters of Sex. Here we go. Follow me on this. She, if you remember the show The League, remember that FX or FXX, I don't remember which one, uh, Fantasy Football League show. Well, in that show, Lizzie Kaplan had a role as uh, Rodney Ruxin's sister. I think it was Rebecca, Rebecca Ruxin. And, uh, Sarah Silverman had a, a role as well in the league, only as uh, Andre's sister. So we got, boom, we got a parallel over there. All right, so I think we've covered a lot of the bases, but get ready for the big finale. Well, okay, the class. I forgot about the class. And let's go with something kind of simple. In the class, um, she plays Cat, who's like a so sociopath, wacky photographer but also likable and charming but uh death worshiping i don't know uh, <laughs> it, the character kind of changed it's a one season so show but i would 
I would suggest to you that the way the character starts in the beginning of the season is, is different than who you see at the end of the season. Um, but in Save the Date, the character Sarah is, a, is an artist as well, but in, in this, in, she, she makes sketches, which are put on display. So there we go. We got an artist parallel there. Um, quite frankly, she plays a lot of characters that are addicts or uh, intoxicated, so that, that's kind of an easy one. I'm trying to avoid that cheap of a, of a, of a link. Could do it, though, you know. Um, animation, another thing would be uh, American Dad. She had a role as Debbie who was uh, Steve, the, the son's um, girlfriend. Well, guess what? There's an episode there where it's Steve and another guy that want to be with Debbie. So there we go. There's a, there's a direct connection. Same kind of plot element as in Save the Date. Here's a deep cut, though. You ready for this? We got to get back to <laughs> In the Mouth of Madness, an empty man. Okay, here it is. She, Lizzie Kaplan, America's greatest living actor, had a role on the show True Blood, the vampire show, HBO. In that show, her character, addicted to blood or getting high off blood or vampire blood or something. Of course, that is. It's V. That's what it's called. Kidnaps a vampire, okay, to drain their blood. That vampire was played by the great Stephen Root. You might remember Office Space, uh, the man with the stapler. Well, guess what? He's in The Empty Man. And in The Empty Man, he plays the cult leader. So we've got, we've got an Empty Man connection. And we've got True Blood linking Empty Man with Save the Date. Sort of. Kind of. I don't know. Trying my best there. Get ready for this one, though. We're going to end with huge bang. Big finale. Here it is. For all you conspiracy theorists out there, get ready for this. In... Save the date. Sarah is spelled with an H. Okay? In Addicted to Her Love, a.k.a. Love is the Drug, Sarah is spelled without an H. So, we've got the letter H. Appears in one and not the other. What else starts with H? Yeah, you guessed it. Hulu. Uh, what show did she have on Hulu? Yeah, Castle Rock. And Castle Rock being a show where she played, what, Annie Wilkes? The, the character from the book Misery, written by who? Yeah, Stephen King. Well, what does that have to do with anything? I'm going to tell you. In the Mouth of Madness, uh, the character, the, the missing author, Sutter Kane, very clearly is alluded to be a Stephen King-type character, kind of combined with H.P. Lovecraft. But in the movie, they specifically mention Stephen King. In other words, Stephen King exists in the In the Mouth of Madness universe. Wow, aren't you amazed and blown away? Now it's all come full circle. And just to <laughs> thought has become reality and now we're here. We have now entered. We're now living in the shared universe. Don't you realize that? And save the date is three words for a total of 11 letters and 3 times 11 is 33 the mystical number of 33 which is also tattooed on my left arm are merging.
I think this means by the year 2033, she will have taken over the whole world. I don't know. All right, everybody. That, that's, that was a bit. That was shtick. Uh, but in all seriousness, what is the big takeaway here? Well, number one, uh, Lizzie Kaplan is America's greatest living actor. Electric performances all the time. Okay? The range is unbelievable. And, and what's the ultimate compliment? All the stuff that I've mentioned to you, I've at least seen some of, and I would never otherwise watch some of this stuff. But she's so excellent. You, you, there's a trust there. If she's in it, you know, it, it, it's going to be watchable at the least. But it's likely to be very good. So can't say enough. So there we go. I think I've named all the ones that I have personally seen or at least seen um, an episode or, or more of. Um, and that's not even the whole thing. Amazingly, half an hour rambling and ranting, I still didn't name all of them. That's how incredible the, <laughs> that's how incredible the career has been, okay, and continues to be. So, all right, well, let's change topics. Oh, one final thought. That's one conclusion about her greatness. Second conclusion, uh, there's a lot of repetition in uh, popular entertainment. There's a lot of repetition of themes of plots uh, in mainstream movies, television. I'm sure you already knew that, but uh, I hope that this exercise may have shined a light on that. Okay, uh, not to—I'm not being critical of any of the the artists I'm talking about. It's just food for thought, something to think about while you're sweeping, while you're vacuuming, while you're driving, while you're on the train, or what have you. And now I want you to think, my dear friends, think about uh, the things you've watched and how they remind you of other things you've watched and how you saw this person in that and this show and guess they were in that show too. Let's think a little bit deeper or try. I don't know. Anyway, next topic. A little music being inserted here. Boom. inserted and now we switch to did I read something this week well this week I did read a little bit I read uh, or I started a book by Michael Ian Black the great Michael Ian Black uh, actor comedic actor from uh, the show The State I don't know if you knew The State but if you haven't seen it it's the greatest sketch comedy show of all time uh, it was on MTV in the 90s early 90s and it has informed, it's been incredibly influential on myself, um, my older sister, if she's listening, uh, and just people I've known throughout my life that the things that they said, that their sketches just became part of uh, the dialogue. I mean, they became part of the culture and, uh, and it holds up to this day. I want to tell you that. So you can see it um, you can buy the DVD. Uh, I think it's on Paramount Plus, formerly CBS All Access. Uh, the only difference is they had to change some of the music because of uh, rights and all that kind of stuff. Um, uh, there is a, a VHS, which I have, called The States uh, Sketches and Stickers, or maybe I'm saying that backwards, but it has um, Cannonball by the Breeders and, a, and another, something else original on it. Um, maybe Marvin Gaye, uh, which aren't on the, the re-release on DVD. Still see it. And here's what I'm going to tell you. Here's the power of the state. I showed it to somebody 
a new generation last year during the pandemic. And they absorbed it the same way. They were laughing. They were quoting. And they are to this day, particularly on a, uh, a great family sketch, the, the, the race. It's uh, the father-son race, which breaks out into a fight. The grand, uh, father and son, played by Michael Showalter and Ben Garant. Then the, the grandfather joins in, played by Ken Marino. And uh, something that has been repeated so very many times over the years. That's just one example. Can't say enough about it. Well, Michael Ian Black also is an author. About a decade ago, I read a book up by, uh, uh, by Michael Ian Black called My Custom Van, which I thought was very funny. When I rewatched The State last year, I thought, boy, I should see if he's written anything else. And, of course, he has. This particular book is called Naval Gazing. It says, Naval Gazing, True Tales of Bodies, Mostly Mine, in parentheses, but also my mom's, which I know sounds weird. Um, so I will tell you, I've just started it 25 pages in. Pretty excellent so far. There, it's one of those things that I bought it, and I said, boy, I can't wait to read this, and I put it on the shelf. Sorry, Michael Ian Black. It, it's true. It's what happened. But please don't take it personally because I do that with so many books that I buy. And then the other day I said, boy, I'd like to see what that's about. And I started reading the first couple pages, and it talked about approaching 40 and uh, midlife crisis things. And I said, uh, boy, that's right on the nose. So let me really read that as well. And so, so far, you know, it's, it's a meditation on things that he's going through. His mother has um, uh, been diagnosed with cancer in the book, in the book, of course, in real life, I'm sure. Um, go, how terrible is that? Talking about spoilers. Uh, and this is somebody's real life. Sorry, Michael Ian Black, but I want to recommend this to everybody. Uh, here's the thing. I've, I'm 25 pages in, and this is that critical moment in reading a book Will I press on, or does it get put back up? I'm on pace for it to finish it by August, and that's that's not good, obviously. But it's that critical moment, and uh, this is what I've experienced in the last decade. You read a certain amount of pages, and you're really into it, but then if we don't follow up, if I don't follow up, I put it aside, all of a sudden it sits aside, and a day passes, and two days pass, and a week pass, and two weeks pass, and a month pass, and next thing you know, there's been no progress. So I'm hoping through this process, there will be progress. There will be accountability. And I will tell you soon that I have finished this. I hope so. We'll see. Uh, again, I have a goal of 10 books this year and I have finished one in the month this May and it's about to turn June. But I'm not going to crack up. I'm not going to panic. I'm going to keep it together and try and meet that goal. All right. Thank you. So now is the time you're going to get to hear the debut. My dear friend, John. Celebrity check-in, celebrity with a lowercase c, sorry. I don't want to mislead you, but I'll explain it. So here we go. I'm going to put a little music in right here. Here it goes. Boom. Here we are, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome. It's happening right now, right this minute. It is happening this is the Celebrity Corner se- <laughs> section of uh, everyone, America's newest favorite uh, podcast, let's say. Uh, I'm here with a true celebrity. I just went away for the microphone. That was a mistake. Now I've moved back forward. So I'm here with a true celebrity, my dear friend, John. John, welcome. How are you, sir? I'm good. Thank you for having me. And what the world doesn't know, but I'm about to we, tell them. Are we not doing last names? We can. Go ahead. John Baugh is here. John Baugh, Louisville, Kentucky, man. Uh, John Baugh is here with me, Patrick Martin. Get it out there. Let's let's tell the world. 
Uh, when I say a true celebrity, I'm about to drop some knowledge on everyone. Prepare yourselves. How is this man a celebrity, you ask? Well, I, I actually well, am asking that question. Well, how, how is this man a celebrity? <laughs> this man, unlike me, unlike you likely, dear listener, had a racehorse named after him. That's correct, Coach Ba. And not only did this man have a racehorse named after him, this racehorse won a race. So it wasn't just what you a know, couple. What a couple. Wasn't races. just some uh, some schmuck, some schmo. You know? <laughs> no, no. It's... This was a a winning racehorse. Here's a fun fact. Uh, according to my uh, internet research, Coach Ba, can you guess? Or you already know? He's just looked at this piece of paper. I don't know. Who is the great grandfather of Coach Ba? <sighs> you know, um, I think I did know that at one time because it was a it was a famous racehorse. But I couldn't tell you right now. Seattle Slough. That's Is what that the, right? that's what the internet sources. Say, <clears throat> yeah, now. I think that's true. I think that's true. Uh, ladies and Coach gentlemen, Coach Bot. At one point, they were seriously um, going to try to make a derby run with Coach Bot. Think about that. But but Coach Bot apparently did not have the genetics to make it happen. Coach Ba is don't very, don't undersell it, you know. Uh, Coach Ba uh, met what is uh, in commons parlance known as the Peter's principle: uh-huh. you rise until you shouldn't rise anymore. And I think Coach Ba let's not let's not undersell it, okay? This horse won. Uh, the internet tells us February fifth. I think we were we were here actually. Mm-hmm. We saw it on mm-hmm. TV. Mm-hmm. February fifth of two thousand twenty, at the fairgrounds in New Orleans. So. And yes. I have that. I had that was a really. It actually won a couple times, but that the fairgrounds race was like I think a stakes race. Even that was that was when they thought, wow, we really could maybe have something here. And I actually was given the saddle cloth. Right. Um, it's red that says, um, "What was that like the Rebel Stakes or something?" And, and um, I've got it. I've got framed at home. Uh, Richard Rigney, the owner of the horse, who is a friend of mine, uh, was kind enough to keep it. I mean, mud stained really? from the track on it and give it to me. I never washed it and I had it framed. So now the world knows. that uh, What we're doing here is, uh, with this uh, podcast, we're building a community, John, and you are part of that community. I am. Uh, I am. The, I am. the vision, I think, is that uh, we have a little segment, a little check-in each week, Um with you in the celebrity corner, uh, and would you agree with me? You have no idea what I'm going to ask you. I have not prepped you in any way no, other than no. to show up. No, you we have are not. currently in a in a room no. with a wooden table, uh, and we're just going for it. Okay? I, I, no, I have I have actually no idea what's going on right now. So you know, I thought we were supposed to have a meeting about something else, and then this let, microphone appeared. Let's do the hardest thing first. Are you ready for this? I'm mm-hmm. going to give you the hardest question first, so it's all downhill from there. Okay. You ready? Mm-hmm. Question. Coach Ba, what is the meaning of life? <laughs> Are you asking me as Coach Ba, what is the meaning of life? Uh, I'm asking you as a person. Let's start there. It can't. It's all downhill from I mean, here, right? I, th- I think it's pretty clear that the meaning of life is to have a racehorse named after you. <laughs> and <laughs> Which I've done. Accomplishment unlocked. <laughs> so You've I'm, done it. I guess I can go ahead and die a happy man. Um that that is that's that's I, that's the best answer I have, Patrick. Accomplishment I unlocked. Other than that, I don't have a very good answer to that. The tombstone has to say, "Had a racehorse named after." I, I had a, I had a racehorse named after me. Um, 
other than that, I you know I I do not have any wonderful um, sage words of wisdom and introspection into the meaning of life. Uh, I don't I do not know. Maybe this question will prompt it. Well, maybe we'll check in again uh, next week, and and you've had a revelation. Maybe you, dear listener, have had a revelation because of that question. If so. Share it with us. I'm going to uh, set up an email. You can email it. I'm going to set up a Twitter. You can tweet and let us know. Okay? What is the meaning of life? If anyone knows, please, please feel free to share. I'm going to go with, I don't know, you know, what is it? Help help each other? I think that's 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 you know? commonly sort of the accepted. I think so. And, I, and, you know, part of what we're doing here is we're building a community. Okay? And, you know, We help are helping each other. others that who may be bored it. or on yes. a commute. On the commute. Which I think is what gave you the that's idea what we're, That's what it came from. Yeah, so you're driving right now or you're riding on a bus or you're on a train. Things to think about. When that revelation comes to you, share it with us, please. Uh, and no judgments here. This is the judgment-free zone as well. If you're vacuuming, because I'm going to tell you, this is going to be a great podcast to vacuum to. If you're walking around your neighborhood, if you're on the treadmill, <laughs> if you have zoned out playing some video game and this is what you have in your ear, I think this this is going to be a hit. I think we're on to something. Uh, we're, we're we're hitting it. Okay, are you ready for this? Mm-hmm. Have you are, are you now or have you have you ever been a commuter? Have, has there been a period in time in your life where you've commuted? Yes. Okay. There uh, has. When I was, um, <clears throat> gosh, I was probably about twenty five, maybe or six, and I mean, I think this counts as a commute. I worked. Um, my first job was down around the Bowling Green, Kentucky area. And I lived in Bowling Green on Scottsville Road, uh, which is a very busy road in Bowling Green. And the office was actually located in downtown um, Franklin, Kentucky, which is about a 20, 25 minute ride each way, I think. Okay, it's been a while since I've done it. So that's your 25, 30, that was, so I would actually come back to Louisville. I would, on the weekends and I would, you know, hang out with my girlfriend who's now my wife, Melissa. She was my girlfriend at the time. And then I would stay with her through Sunday night and then I would get up in the morning, Monday morning, early, because you know Monday. Yeah. You you well you know, Patrick Markey, that when you think John Baugh, you think early riser. Okay. I think prompt I think You think on time and you think early riser. I, I'm gonna share with the world right now. A phrase that John has trademarked, uh, and I'm going to put it out there. It's called uh, being a time optimist. So if, that's right. That's if you what need I to, am. If you need to be somewhere that's an hour away, and you're 20 minutes away, John believes you're going to make it on time. Yes. He is a time optimist. That is a phrase that he has coined, and that is know, because you, my wife tells me that I that I am selfish, self-centered, and I do not take others' feelings into account. It's disrespect. It's disrespectful. And I said, no, that is incorrect. Uh, has nothing to do with my feelings for others. I just believe this is this should be a a a, a disorder. But I believe that I can get to some place faster than I really can. And 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 I think what I'm what I'm taking into account is the fact that there is no, you know, I could get there as fast as I think I can if I caught every light. There was no traffic. It's theoretically possible. It's theoretically even, possible. Even it's I do it every now and then. I'm not going to be early. Yeah. I'll be right there on the nose. Um, and one might say to me, um, well, John, that you know that about yourself. So what steps are you taking? But see, that is the nefarious 
quality of the disorder is that yeah. you, you can never, you, you, you truly believe in your mind that you can get there. Also, as, as you well know, I'm a bit of a talker and that makes me late because I can't get out of anywhere without starting up a conversation with somebody. It all started, uh, you and I were going somewhere, I don't know, five years ago, and we needed to be somewhere that was three hours away, <laughs> and the clock kept ticking. And <laughs> I, was, I was urging you, we really have to go. Uh, but you were adamant, we're going to make it on time. And did we? We did not make it oh. on time. <laughs> we did not. How late In were fact, we? Is uh, this when we went to Paducah? Yeah, I think that we were 40 minutes late, perhaps. Uh, no. And you, oh, no, <laughs> it's absolutely true. We were not. That is absolutely true. I that think is, we hit a tra traffic. That is jam. absolutely true. Can I tell one? Is more? that when we stopped and yes, somebody I, got that bear claw? Can I, can I tell one more story about yeah, that? Yeah, that was an interesting. So trip. something that the world needs to know is that John is a connoisseur of uh, gas station. Food. Love it. And so part of part of the the trip with John, and when you go somewhere, is that. Hey, there's a gas station. <laughs> now maybe there's a restaurant across the street, but he's going to be drawn to that gas station. And oh so, no, it's it's fast, it's ready. I so, don't have to wait. So we go into a gas station uh, pretty far out, uh, uh, pretty far off the beaten path, you might say, because the way we were going, there is one particular rest stop that uh, everything is directed to this. It's pretty clear you're supposed to stop at this rest stop, which is in the middle of the highway. Oh yeah. Well, we go we go past that, and at that point you have to kind of take some chances, and you go off the road, and you're you're kind of traveling out there. And so we go to this place, and uh, John goes for it. He gets a sandwich. Oh. Uh, I get my favorite uh, kind of traveling foods. A cup of coffee and a bear claw. Yeah, I think it actually was maybe combos that day. I, you know, the so a, somebody got a bear. Claw. A black coffee and and, 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 and some combos. Black coffee always. And it goes uh, without saying. You have to. I have to at least. You, you have we to have it right now. It's in my right hand. Thank you very much. Uh, it is never not in your right hand. It's never far. You're welcome. I hope not. I hope it's never far. But uh, so I hope for your sake it's never far either. I hope for all our sakes it's never far away. That coffee. So he gets head, this, his head might blow off. He gets this this sandwich from this gas station and all right we're we're leaving all this. We think it's we think we're gone. No, he he insists we must he must have some mustard. So he asks the people if they have mustard. They proceed to take a box from underneath the <laughs> counter and this box is filled with condiments. But it's pre-made condiments from like Long John Silver's, McDonald's. <laughs> there was jelly in there. There was, there was a jelly. It's just a box where they have dumped these various condiments. He grabs them. Incredibly. I think, I think incredibly, there was a paper clip and a rubber band in there too. Incredibly. He grabs a mustard, which had to have been there for, for at least a year. Oh, longer. Yeah. I puts think it, it on his, I think it was like a Burger Queen mustard or something. There have been Burger Queens forever. Puts it on his sandwich, takes a bite, uh, throws it out immediately, spits it out. And in doing so, threw out my convos, which were in the same bag. Oh, and you have clearly not forgotten that. <laughs> You've not I, I have not forgotten that. Those convos. So, there are some real important life lessons. One is, if it says three hours to get somewhere, you really should take that seriously. Don't bank on getting there in an hour and 40 minutes. Two is, <laughs> I have, I... Two is if, there's, if, if, if the highway has, has given you this clear direction that this place in the middle of the highway, that is the gas the gas station you're supposed to go to. Go to that one. Plus, that, I think that's like one of the only, maybe the only like exit in Kentucky that's in the middle of the road. Yeah. You see those in Florida and other this states. This is on the western Kentucky Parkway. But you don't see them in Kentucky, bro. So 
you know, if the road is leading you that way, go for that one. Don't go for the one that's like five miles off, off the beach. Yeah, path, okay? that was a bad idea. And number three. Unless it's to go to Roosters. Have you been to Roosters before? No. Roosters Old Country Store? Yeah, I forgot where you, it is. You endorse it, huh? Oh, well, man, but But number three is if the, the, the gas station is presenting you with condiments, which are just used condiments or, or you know, from other places, <laughs> don't do it. Just don't Just do it. Don't. Just walk away. It's walk true. away. You don't need the mustard that bad, okay? I shouldn't have done that. But right. I've eaten worse, I can promise you. Uh, I will tell you, I would like to put in a plug and a request. A plug if, and a request. If, well, it wouldn't be so. If I don't know any of Thornton's. I, I, I know um, I'm, I went to school with Fran Thornton, who is married to Matt Thornton of Thornton Food Marts, which plug for them, my favorite place to stop. If I see Thornton's, that is where I'm stopping. So if anyone that has anything to do with Thornton's is listening right now, please bring back the grilled chicken sandwich. It was delicious. It was it was fantastic. I would go whether now I never would get the one that they had pre-cooked in the little, you know, hot box next to the counter. I would always get a fresh one, microwave it, put a little bit of miracle whip on it, mm. a little bit of mustard, some cheese, <laughs> uh, some pico de gallo when they had that before the uh, uh, pandemic. Um, a little, some onion. I told you he's a connoisseur. And, I mean, this and is high. This is, this is, and a little bit of dill pickle relish. And let me tell you what, you were eating fine right there. You I, can, you can have your Jeff Ruby's and, and you can have your Morton Steakhouse. Give me a Thornton's grilled chicken sandwich any day. There's, we're not But they took away, they, we are not, much. we are, this is a free. And so if anyone from Thornton's is listening, please, please, please. Well, you really don't have to bring them back. You can just ship what you have left to me, <laughs> and I will eat them. The, the passion that goes with this gas station eating is really incredible. I have to tell you, I don't know that I've ever got a sandwich from a gas station. Oh, come on, man. When I think gas station food, it's, you know, it's candy bars. It's, uh, it's donuts. It's, uh, you know, it's obviously coffee, so... There you go. I told you that. Now, did you have any tips you wanted to share from oh, your, your brief time as a, a commuter? Was there anything in particular you would do? Well, I'll tell you something that makes me very sad. I think Rooster Run, which is what I was, was a general store in Nelson County, Kentucky. And I think that it... Uh-oh. Did they, did they close? No, 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 no. It, it's, it's still there. Um, man, it's great. If anybody ever, I just, I love plugs. Um, go to, if you're ever in Nelson County, do not miss Rooster Run. Delicious. They also have, let me tell you, they make their stuff fresh. If you were there at any time, any, any, any point in time near breakfast hours, stop in Rooster Run General Store, Nelson County, Kentucky, and get yourself a egg with runny egg with ham biscuit. Delicious. Uh, Delicious. For, for the record, I could talk about none of these people have sponsored. Us. We're just we're just throwing it out yeah, there. I could talk. What I could sit and take this show right now and talk I, about I know that. gas I know station that. and general store food for the rest of the. Program. I bet you didn't see that coming, folks. But it's it's real. This is this is the experience. This if any, I, I would like to say because if anyone if anyone has experiences at certain general stores or gas station food that I do not know about, please email. The show or tweet about it. I probably will go check it out. <laughs> he will. He'll do it. He'll do it. And what is that? Well, you know, this is the commuter life, right? You, you have to. You have to know all the available gas stations. You mm -hmm. have to know. You have to know where the best bathrooms are. You too. have to know how you can get in and out, right? So that's one of the challenges. 
It's one thing that you know something's there, but are you going to get stuck in a long line? Now you're late. Or is, 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 does it have quick ingress and egress? These are, these are important things to pay attention to and know. So having said that, John, let, let's give a little background here. Let's, let, let, let's change topics. Let's let the people know who you are. Uh, random question. Uh, what is the first movie you ever saw in a movie theater? Oh man, I don't know. I, I think it was, um, I think it was one of the Star. I think it's Star Wars. Really? Wouldn't that have been about nineteen eighty one or eighty two, something like that? What was that? Return of the Jedi, maybe the third one, or yeah. conversely, the the sixth one. Yeah, I mean that's the earliest one I can remember seeing. Um, I'm sure I saw stuff before when I was a little kid, but. That's the first one I remember. That or Tank. Do you remember Tank with James Garner? No, I haven't seen that. Uh, Tank. Or it may have been the famous with um, God Rest His Soul, Rest in Peace. John Candy was in a movie called, uh, no, that was Spaceballs. The one I saw was called Ice Pirates. It was great. I bet you never saw Ice Pirates. I did not see Ice Pirates. I think the first one I saw was Follow That Bird, the Sesame Street movie. Really? And I'm going to tell you, I, I, I had to have been... It's amazing that I remember it. I guess I just remember the experience, uh, you know, because you go in there, the screen's huge. It, it's just uh, shocking if you're uh, a young age there. Tank was 1984. James Garner, okay. And, and here's the thing. I rewatched it uh, a couple years ago uh, with uh, kids. Uh, and if you see that movie, it is such a scathing commentary on the social service system. The, mo the villain of the movie is a social worker. They don't understand the community feel or the community that is Sesame Street. So the villain is this social worker who's displacing Big Bird from Sesame Street to what? go live with other birds. And then she does, you know, Big Bird, it this sounds doesn't horrifying. like it, flees, and the social worker's chasing. And then there's like a, uh, is there a sideshow, a carnival or something like that? There, there's another villain, that, you know, that's trying to capture Big Bird and all that, but... You cannot wa not watch that and think, "Wow, Sesame Street." Those people did not like the uh, the uh, the social services system, uh, or it was or it was just a scathing critique of it. Okay, I mean seriously, watch it and everybody listening, and you'll you'll, you'll know it. it. Sounds like riveting uh, cinema. Obviously, the last uh, year we've had the pandemic. John, yeah. what was the last movie you saw before the pandemic struck in the theater? In the theater. Um, I think the last movie was that Quentin Tarantino movie uh, with... Um, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood? Yep. Yeah. Mm -hmm, that is, yeah. So that would have been the summer before. Yeah. Uh, I saw that also up here. I saw it in a AMC or something. Man, it was freezing in the theater. Freezing. I remember that was something about gotta that, hot, that particular Gotta get a one. hot cup of coffee. Absolutely. Well, you know I was going to drink it anyway, even if it's... Uh, Hundred degrees. Can By you, the way, can you get hot? Can you get hot coffee? It depends on the theater. That one I think does have it. It's over. It's like Middletown or something like that. Okay. But uh, yes, uh, for the for the record, uh, hundred degree weather. Yeah, I'm still drinking uh, some oh. hot black coffee. Hey, folks, he is not lying. <laughs> that's a, that's one of the best times. Okay, it could be you could be in a steam room and you'd be drinking hot coffee. Good for the soul, uh, as we all know. I think the last thing I saw in the theater, it was either The Invisible Man or uh, Underwater with uh, Kristen Stewart. Uh, hmm. I don't go to a lot of movies in the theater, you know? I, I like it. I, 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 I like to. There's no reason I don't. I just, for whatever reason, unless, unless I am really motivated, I really wanted to see, I like Quentin Tarantino. Yeah. 
and I really that that movie looked like it was going to be really good with the with the um, you know with with the Manson um, sort of angle. Although that really didn't have a well, whole the movie. It's funny you say it because we I was there uh, with my wife watching it, and when that whole ending scene happened, we were like laughing and cheering. Yeah, and uh, <laughs> the people turned and looked at us, but the the. I love that ending. The ending I was great. I love that. I love that scene. Up until then, it's kind of a boring movie. Oh no, I liked it. I, I loved it because you just sat there and you just took in the world, and that was the whole thing about it. It was really, yeah, I guess you're it was right. really escapism. Was, you know, it, it was. It was long. It was long. It was long, it was. but I appreciate the fact that he made a point of the anti-Manson movie because how many of those have you seen where yeah. you know we glorify. The, the family and all these things, and at least for one, you got to see Sharon Tate alive, Live. living, yeah. seeing her movie, you know, seeing her on screen, and then like seeing I say, her movie. the great, the great ending where they find, you know, where uh, don't spoil it for everybody. If, I, you, have, if you haven't seen, it is worth going to see. The best scene of the movie. I'm gonna actually don't spoil it, but I'm gonna spoil. It. <laughs> but the anyway. best scene of the movie is when Brad Pitt beats up Bruce Lee. You think that's the best scene? I thought that was awesome. Oh man, I, no, no, I, no, I, no, the I ending's better. Yeah. But the best scene besides that. You think that, the best non ending scene? I mean, that was just, I thought that was hilarious. The best non ending scene? I, I like the acting, the Leo, where he's the acting with the little girl part, you know? Oh, yeah, that was good. Where, and Luke Perry's there right before what he dies. What about when Leonardo DiCaprio gets, he, he drinks too much the night before? And he goes in, he goes in, he's cussing himself out. He's like, wait, are we allowed to curse uh, on this? I don't, probably not, right? I don't know. We're, we're, it's a work in progress. Okay, well, anyway, he is cursing at himself, and he's looking at himself in the mirror. He's like, you don't even, you don't even like, what was it? You don't even like old fashions. <laughs> like, every drunk is done, looked himself the, in the, the mirror. The water in the face. Have, have you ever, I, I had not seen the, the, the ice water face thing even. He's doing? trying to make the bloating yeah, go down. Yeah, and yeah, and he's, yeah. it's a, and, and he's just cussing at himself. Highly recommended. Why did movie. you drink last night? You don't even like old fashioned. Highly recommended. Uh, it's on everything, right? Uh, I think it's stars. If you have stars, you can have everything get it. by it's Quentin on Tarantino. Amazon. Is good. Uh, obviously, you can rent it on Amazon. I mean, I hate, to be, a, DVD, I, I hate to be like a Tarantino fanboy. You know, I'm more of a contrarian, as you know. I like in to, general. You are. I contrarian. like to dislike yes. things other people like. But the I'm world sorry. knows it now with your gas station yeah, <laughs> rhetoric. Come on. But he is. He's too good. His movies are 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 incredible. He is a singularly talented individual who makes incredibly interesting movies. Has he ever made a bad one? Uh, I never saw Grindhouse, I guess, but I saw all the Kill Bills. I saw the Hateful Eight. I saw um, what was the one with Brad Pitt where he, they were they were Nazi. Oh, players. Inglorious. Uh, Inglorious Bastards. Yeah. I mean, Pulp Fiction speaks. They're all good. Uh, I wonder what he's working on now. I, I wonder what he's watching. Sure he, Folks, we'll if you're listening, <laughs> tell us. Send us son, an email, us. tweet. We would like Quentin to Tarantino, know. If you're listening, what, please tell us. Okay? What Quentin Tarantino's next? Uh, and by the way, Quentin Tarantino, you, you, there's a standing invitation if you'd like to come oh. talk with us. Forget Unlo about it. Forget it. Unlike yeah, M Night Shyamalan, who just gets worse. Oh come on! Let, let, he let, had two hits and he's well, gotten worse. Let's leave M Night for now alone. I will, I will say though, recently the sky rewatched the hat the happening. Oh man. Which one was that? Not a fan of the happening. Which one was uh, that? Mark Wahlberg with uh, Zoe Deschanel. Oh, it. it uh, I don't think I saw that one. Uh, if you haven't seen it, I will just let it go right there. Uh, I stopped with the village. The village. Oh, really? Was... I like. See, I know people said that, and uh, I liked the village. 
And I'm going to say it. I'm going to tell the world. I like the village. But I'm going to twist you. Are you it ready for this? It was horrible, but it was... I was not a big fan of Signs, which I saw in the theater. Twist. I like the village way more than I like Signs. Mm. I, I can't agree with that. I, I also... The village was okay. Then he made that one, The Last Airbender. And I, I, have that, not I had, never saw it. I think it was horrible. I, I liked... Uh, I saw Glass last year. In the, I think it was last year in the theater. I liked that one as well. Unbreakable is, is a really outstanding movie. Have you ever seen that, Bruce Willis? Yeah, that's with, uh, yeah. Yeah, really outstanding. All right, well, um, we went way longer, but whatever. So this was. Hopefully, we entertained some people and gave them this, a respite, a needed respite from their commute. Or I think so. Well, you know, just. Uh, doldrums of the day. So this is just a segment. So there's a whole other thing. There's a whole thing going on. Uh, last question. Please don't boo me, people. If you email. <laughs> If you don't like me, just don't say anything. Last you don't question. need to boo me on social media. Do you have a favorite Guar song? The world wants to know. Do you have a favorite Guar song? I, I, you know, uh, Odorous Urungus. No, I Rest do not. Rest in peace, Dave Brocky. Yeah. yeah. No, I'm afraid I do not. Nah. I, I'm, I'm not a huge Guar fan. I've got oh, man. That. I know that's I don't, and, and, and yet, folks, I just want you to know, this is an example of Tolerance, patience, kindness. Even though this man just admitted to the world he's not a huge Guar fan, I'm still he's still How here with me. How many Guar fans are there? Like ten? Oh in the come world? on! You you have, you're embarrassing yourself right now. I you're don't, embarrassing yourself. There can't be more than ten or fifteen. You're, you have no idea. You have no idea. Okay. I would say I would I would be willing to wager a significant amount of money. There are more people, many many more people who detest Gore rather than Guar, like Guar, uh, Guar, whatever. Well. How, what's the money line? And what are the standards? Because I would like to, to take that I line. mean, like revulsion. Like, they really revulsion. do not like them. I, I don't, re, you know, they do not, I do not find them, uh, I do not find them to be, they do not, uh, I guess, revolt me. I don't, I don't find them revolting. <laughs> but They don't revolt you. Okay. But, but uh, I'm not a huge fan. So I'm kind of in the middle. I wouldn't even count in our little bet. But I bet if you played Guar for my wife, that would be some revulsion. I, I, I'll convert. I'll convert her. I'll convert everyone. The whole world. You're okay. going to have to. All right. Little by little. All right, folks. This is John's segment for the week. Uh, we'll check in next week. Thank you for having me, Patrick. It has been a honor and a pleasure. Um, and I hope that people uh, do not do not contact you and say, please never have that person back. He does not like Guar. Do not have him back. Well, thank you for listening to that. I appreciate it. We'll be back with more and more. Um, at this point, before I talk about Party Down, I want to uh, talk to you about um, the Legal Aid Society of Louisville. I am not uh, employed by them. I'm not uh, being asked to advocate for them. They don't, they don't endorse anything I'm saying here, but I just want to say I know some of these shows, you know, it's like, Sponsored by so-and-so. Well, I'm going to do the opposite on this particular episode. I'm going to say, hey, if you find yourself with uh, a little extra income, which I know is difficult these days, but if you find yourself in a charitable spirit, if you're feeling charitable, how about giving to the Louisville Legal Aid Society? And you can go to www.laslou.org. There's a donate button. And I think it's also yourlegalaid, with no E, dot org. Uh, forward or slash donate um, and this is an important service friends 
This uh, service provides uh, legal assistance for low-income individuals and needs. It provides legal services for homeless individuals. It provides legal services for veterans. It provides legal services for domestic violence victims. So it's really a worthy cause. I think it's a great organization. I really, I, I believe in it. And again, I'm not employed by them. Uh, they haven't asked me to do this. They don't, probably don't know I'm doing this. So who knows if they'll ever hear it. But, um, but if you find yourself in a giving way, in a charitable way, please consider giving to the Legal Aid Society of Louisville. It really is a, a necessary, a critical service. So, all right, thanks. Thanks for considering it. Here we are, first ever uh, discussion of the great Party Down. This was a show that aired from 2009 to 2010 on Stars. Um, there was a story recently about a uh, revival, reunion, I don't know how you characterize it. I guess revival, if, if the same people come back. So let's hope that happens. Absolutely. Um, incredible, incredible show. Uh, first of all, I'm going to say watch it, uh, buy it. You know, it's, it's a star show. So if you subscribe to stars, you get to see it. It's on Hulu. So if you subscribe to, subscribe to Hulu, you get to see it. Um, the DVDs of the whole of both seasons, it's dirt cheap. I think last time I saw it was like under ten bucks on Amazon for a new copy of both seasons on DVD. You can buy it on Amazon for pretty cheap, or you could recently uh, digitally. I think iTunes as well. You can get it digitally there, so there's no excuse. It's a, it's a it's readily available. It's right there. You should buy it. You should you should watch it. You should rewatch it. And I'm going to talk to you about why. I'm going to say first of all spoilers. Uh, if you haven't seen it, um, please watch it and, and, and listen, but, um, it's hard to have a discussion about the themes of the show and, and, and the meaning of the show without talking about what happened. I'm going to talk about the things that happened. Um, I do believe you can enjoy the show even after listening to this because it's just that great. Um, so to start off this, this particular beginning this episode, I just want to give an overview. I want to give an overview of each character and just how it sets the table for what takes place and what we see and what we learn and really the reflection uh, because the show is high art. Uh, on the one level, it's sort of, you know, it's got, it's got great comedy. It's got laugh out loud, funny moments, but it just has these incredible themes about life and the meaning of life and purpose in life and why, why try, why not try. Uh, but running through it all is the theme of community. And ultimately, that's my takeaway is uh, what matters is the having a community, having a community of people that you care about and that care about you, regardless of what you're doing, that you can be, you know, you can be, you can be a lot of things um, and not be where you want to be in life. But if you have that supportive community, you can get through it. And so this show for the record, all props to the creators would be Rob Thomas, John Enbaum, Dan Etheridge, and Paul Rudd. Um, there's kind of a full history of the show. Uh, they did a panel for Vulture. If you go on YouTube and click and like Party Down Vulture Reunion, it's there. It's really excellent. The whole cast is there with the creators. I think everybody but Paul Rudd. Uh, and then there's a, but Vulture has it on their website in like a written form. 
I think they even have a podcast version of it. So please listen to that. It's really got a great uh, story about the back, you know, what happened, how it was created. Um, my understanding is all the creators worked on the stories or they're working on the stories. A lot of the quote unquote teleplays seem to be credited to John Enbaum, but I want to give credit to all of them. I mean, what's so great about the show is great stories, great writing and great acting all coming together. Um, and then also the, um, directors, uh, Fred Savage, and I think it's Brian Gordon. They, uh, they take turns, at, um, directing most of the, most of the episodes, uh, season two though also has David Wayne directing episode. And then Ken Marino directs what I'm calling the finale season two, episode 10. So, um, it, it's just a great confluence of, of excellence. Everyone in it, uh, shines and they make the most of the, um, they make the most of the material and they add to the material. I mean, it's just, it, it, it's, it's pro it's profound and that's you know cliche to say boy this is profound but it really is because you're watching a show where you know you're saying okay it's a comedy and all that but then all of a sudden you're just hit in the gut with <laughs> life choices and life decisions and the implications of them again it's ostensibly it's a comedy and it is funny but it's it's filled with just moments of spiritual devastation and those moments in which a character has seen a dream uh, fall apart are followed by genuine moments of, of empathy and kindness um, in surprising ways. And you go from being hopeless to having some hope. And, and that's what really uh, is it, so incredible. The show, it's a dialogue. It's really an examination, in my view, the way I, I watch it, it's uh, of the meaning of life, you know, and purpose and empathy and expectations and the the trap that expectations lead to uh mortality there's a you know there's an episode season two episode four uh ron donald who's played by ken marino i think it's his greatest episode and there's it's at a funeral and you think well how do you have a half hour comedy show at a funeral well they do and and it becomes yeah there are really funny moments but at the same time ron donald the character uh, great, great performance by Ken Marino uh, just assaults us with all the, these questions of, of, you know, what decisions we've made and why we've made these decisions and what happens next uh, in life or does anything happen next and, you know, what's our legacy? And so all these things happen and, you know, the, question, the show asks these questions, why try? Uh, when do you give up? Um, when do you settle? When do you, when do you agree to take something less than what you really want or that you believe you're going to get? Um, on the other hand, the show seems to say, why wouldn't you try? Or what else are you going to do? And I think that's what's so, so great about it. Um, it's a stellar cast and they seem to like each other in real life if you watch the panel. And I, that really comes through in the show because it is a community. It's a de facto family. Uh, and that's really what drives the show is, you know, we're, we go to a different place, a different setting each, um, each week. And kind of the, the, the obvious bit or the obvious gag is that, you know, it's a party, but 
there's a lot of misery. It's not necessarily a happy-go-lucky kind of fun time. So we have that ex- that's a theme: expectation versus reality. What what ha- what do we expect to happen, and what does in fact happen? And throughout this, um, we focus on the caterers. That's what Party Down is. It's it's a catering company, and the main characters are all caterers. Caterers, but they have aspirations. Most of them, um, acting, comedy. Uh, different jobs in the case of Ron Donald. I'll talk more about all that. And they take shots at each other constantly. They, like a family, they fight. They, they take shots. They pick on each other. But only to a point. And I think that's what's so um, alluring about the show is there's sort of an unspoken line of misery or self-doubt. And if one of the characters gets to that line or crosses that line, then someone else steps up. Someone else um, jumps in to help, to try at least. And that, again, I think is what's so appealing, um, particularly talking about the, the Henry Pollard character, which we'll talk more about, played by Adam Scott. Um, that character tends to be someone that, regardless of what they're going through, they really do try to encourage uh, the other people, even in moments of, you know, just humiliation and that's one thing uh certainly humiliation happens to our characters uh but there's a dignity in what they go through there's a dignity in the indignity Hmm, think about that for a second uh what what did i just say nonsense maybe but you know why not so um i i think that party down is the show we need to talk about in 2021 when uh we have uh fractions, divisions, um, uh, so many problems of uh, not having a community or conversely having a very unhealthy community of people bouncing hate against each other and all those kinds of things. Instead, party down, we have uh, people who are not where they want to be, but they're trying. And along the way, they they form up a group again, even grudgingly. Whether or not they would admit it, it, we see it. We see, we see the community. We see the empath. We see the empathy uh, through the, through the tragedy and, and, and the things that happen. Um, it is high art. It invites reflection. Reflect on my life. Reflect on decisions I've made or have not made, and uh, and that's. You know, it's not just what is the surface uh, laugh track thing that has happened. This is, wow, that just hit me between the eyes because have I given up on dreams? Um, What about a decision I made two decades ago? Those kinds of things. That's what the show does. Uh, And and it's written from a place of high intelligence. Uh, You have right away, for example, episode one, you've got... um, the character Roman, who's an aspiring writer played by Martin Starr, uh, quoting Repo Man, right? Repo Man, excellent, outstanding movie starring Emilio Estevez, if you remember that, takes place also in L.A., by the way, party down, L.A., because it's Hollywood, it's aspiring actors, or it's people who have stopped acting in the case of uh, Henry Pollard, played by Adam Scott. But you have uh, the Roman character who keeps quoting um, uh, Rebo Man to uh, Adam Scott's character Henry and 
right away, this, so right away it's telling you, right? We've got the parallel there. What happens in Repo Man? We have Emilio, Est- Emilio Estevez as Otto. He's sort of aimless. He's wandering around, and um, he becomes a Repo Man, even unwittingly. He, he just kind of stumbles into it. He has no real aspirations, no real goals, other than, um, I guess, he'd like something, um, you know, but he's not sure what. And in the movie, he sort of is exposed to all these different philosophies. Um, there's a, I think there's a sort of a pretty clear Scientology reference in the movie, and, and there's a, uh, just an organized religion reference with uh, his parents who have given money to a, a preacher on TV. And so he has all these different things that he's exposed to, but ultimately he just, he doesn't care that much, and he rejects them, and he just sort of, he just sort of wanders. But in the end, uh, he is exalted, right? If you've seen the movie, there's a, an alien aspect to it. And in the end, he, Otto is chosen and Otto is exalted and Otto rises above the city. Uh, and you have that same thing happening in Party Down. And, you know, we're focused on caterers. So we have this, uh, we're focused on, uh, Henry Pollard and, and all the other characters and they're exalted at least to us, the viewers, because that's who we're focused on. That's who we care about. That's whose lives we're, we're studying. They're, 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 they rise above the rest. And Henry, in particular, has a sort of attitude of just, he's just, kind of, he's just kind of wandering and going with what comes along the way. Does he find happiness? Hmm, well, I don't know. Uh, does he find a path, at least? Well, compare Otto to uh, Henry, then you also have Otto's friend sort of friend i guess kevin if in the beginning of the movie he's working with them at the grocery store they get fired and then kevin works at uh like a fast food place and he's talking about how he can become a manager and he can become a god when he's manager and you have the parallel in this show with henry and then ron who ron is not aspiring to be an actor he's not aspiring to be um a writer a comedian he wants to be Uh, in management he wants to run his own business and so you have the same thing there uh (laughs) kevin gets beat up in the movie ron gets beat up a lot in the show and so who is exalted is uh the person who just doesn't really care as much and doesn't have a plan they're just wandering and they're trying to find something and aren't we all doing that in life right and so it's part of the brilliance of the show um there's the themes in the show and one of the themes is expectations versus reality as i mentioned um, but also you having um, an altered perception of what happiness is based on what other people are experiencing and so you know uh, they go to a party it's a nice house so that means the person's happy wrong they're not happy uh the the rock star uh is rich has uh, people throwing themselves at him? Is he happy? No, he's not. And so, other people, and of course, this is this is real. This is life, right? Me looking at somebody else and saying, "Boy, I wish what that person had. I wish I had what that person had. Then I would be happy," quote unquote. But guess what? That person's not happy either. And so, the message of of the show being that um, if you continuously um, look at others. And say, boy, I wish I was that person. Well, that person might be and likely is miserable. So that's not the right path. The path is you finding what works for you um, and what 
what you can live with. I think that's a big thing too. Instead of, uh, again, that expectation versus reality, not, you know, what can, what, what, what brings you contentment? What does happiness even mean? Because, uh, I think part of the, the, what the show exposes so brilliantly is the, the fallacy of, um, or the false premise of happiness. You know, happiness is one emotion, right? And, and sadness is one emotion, but can you find contentment? Um, can you be okay? Can you not crack up? Boom, there it is. So this, this, this show really is the inspiration for uh, doing this podcast. Uh, a supportive community to not crack up in difficult times. Um, so there are a lot of themes of leaving and returning. Um, that happens, you know, characters leave, characters return, characters, uh, characters shoot for the, for the stars, they fall back to earth, but, but somebody else is there to help them. I'm rambling, so I'm going to go into the characters. I'm going to get focused again. Bear with me, please bear with me. First, we have the character Henry Pollard, played by the great Adam Scott. Adam Scott, who you may know from Who Loves the Sun. I love that movie. I don't know if you've seen that or not. It's a really good movie. It's kind of a, it's almost like a play. It takes place at this cabin, I, I think in Canada. Uh, and you have this person who left, uh, played by, I think, Lucas Hawes. They, they come back into the life of... Uh, Adam Scott, they go to Adam, the character that Adam Scott plays, his parents' cabin, and then the strange wife of Lucas Haas shows up, and so it's these um, five characters, and it's over a weekend. I, I think it's really an excellent movie. Maybe I'll talk more about it on a different episode. So he's in Who Loves the Sun, which I think is great, and then also, uh, arguably, the greatest Christmas horror movie uh, as of today, as of 2021, Krampus. I don't know if you've seen that or not, but that's really a really good movie. Tony Collette uh, plays uh, uh, Tony Collette and Adam Scott, her husband and wife. And uh, spoiler, Krampus comes to town, which is bad news for uh, Mr. Adam Scott's character. That's a that's like it's a throwback. It's kind of like an '80s style horror movie, um, but it has a but it has a a family element to it as as it should for a Christmas horror movie. And, uh, I have to say it's the best. I don't know. I do like the movie called, uh, a Christmas horror story. And that's a really good one. Uh, William Shatner's in that one. I don't know if you've seen it. Um, you know, you have some other, uh, of the classics, um, silent night, deadly night, you know, some, some good ones like that. Uh, also a better watch out. I don't know if you've seen that, but that was, that's a really good movie. That's like the, I think the director called it the dark home alone, but, of course, Home Alone is half a horror movie itself, isn't it? But uh, so the great Adam Scott, star of Who Loves the Sun and Krampus, plays Henry Pollard. And Henry becomes sort of the waif that we, the audience, uh, learns about the world. We learn that Henry um, is a quote-unquote failed actor. But, you know, I don't know that that's accurate, but he's no longer an actor. That he, he had a career... Uh, has a lot of talent, as we learn, that he is, in fact, likely the most talented um, artistically of the of the main cast of characters. But he, Henry Pollard, 
is going back to party down. He used to work there seven years before. He worked there with Ron Donald, played by Ken Marino. Ron Donald is is now the team leader when the show starts of the party down catering crew. And Henry, um, Henry quit acting. And the reason he quit is because he was haunted by a catchphrase. We learn that he took a job doing a commercial, uh, beer commercials with a catchphrase, the famous line, are we having fun yet? Um, that line, which you hear throughout season one, but here's a little trivia question. I don't think that he, Henry Pollard, says the line at all in season two. In fact, I think the last time he says the line is uh, season one, episode eight, celebrate uh, Ricky Sargulish, which played by Stephen Weber, one of the best episodes there is. Um, after that, there are characters who say the phrase, but I don't think he says it. And in fact, I don't know if we hear it again after season two, episode two, um, Precious Lights Auction. All right, well, that's a little trivia there for you. See if you're paying attention. And that's the one point I want to bring up with Party Down. It invites rewatches because there is so much happening on the screen at any time that you pick up on different things each time you watch it. You've got, you know, characters in the foreground, characters in the background, and you see different things and you, you pick up on small different clues. And so if you have some little pieces of trivia about Party Down that I missed throughout, email do not crack up podcast at gmail.com don't crack up podcast at gmail.com a commuters pod at a commuters pod the twitter handle let me know let me know on some ones that i'm missing and, and throughout i'm going to try and share those but getting back to henry um the life lesson we have is the decision he thought was going to be his breakthrough was his devastation uh he took a job that was not about his acting talent it was um, a catchphrase and while in the short term, it, it may have been beneficial. We, we see he had a nice car at one point. It's now run down. Uh, it was the very thing that ruined him. Sort of the Icarus narrative, right? He flew too close to the sun. But then not even that because it, it, or it, saying the catchphrase on the commercial, is that really too close to the sun? I don't know. It's um, sort of, right? Uh, but it wasn't Icarus in the sense of, he got a role in the biggest movie in the world and then crashed. It was, he got this uh, almost a quick, almost a shortcut to fame because people do know who he is and people did see the commercial and it was a famous commercial, but it was completely empty. It was hollow and uh, it ruined him. And part of the way it ruined him is he was then always associated with that particular um with that instead of being someone known for their acting talent which again the show tells us is real he is a skilled actor um he's known for the catchphrase so people underestimate him uh, and that's a theme throughout particularly casey casey klein played by the great lizzie kaplan uh she underestimates his his, his acting talent understandably because of the catchphrase so though the, though the show indicates he is the most talented of the group um, he's devastated and he's stopped trying. But, and, and we witnessed the consequences of that. Um, one of the really um, endearing aspects of the Henry character is that although he is miserable uh, when we meet him and really throughout, he does not spread the misery. And uh, there are times when he could. 
um, one of the things that you see is there's a juxtaposition between Henry Pollard and Roman De Beers. That's played by Martin Starr. Roman being an aspiring writer. Um, Roman takes out his 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 anger and his uh, his issues. Um, he spreads misery. He's on the attack. Henry, not so much. Now, Henry does it does take shots at people, uh, does make wisecracks, but he does so, I would say, quietly and 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 generally jokingly with Casey in particular, but um, back and forth with her. Uh, they 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 crack wise, you might say. But he doesn't generally, and I'm trying to think of any instances where he would. He doesn't go after people. And, and, and bring him down, although he could, if he wanted, um, he could take those shots, and, but he doesn't. Instead, uh, he helps. And although he has quit, he does not encourage anyone else to quit. And there are some really touching moments. Um, the season one finale, Ron is in a bad place. And it's really one of the great moments of the show, in my opinion. Ron's character, played by the great Ken Marino, gives this that gives this 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 rant um this devastating uh discussion of everything he's done and what is the point of any action he's made in his life and what is the point of life and henry swoops in and henry tries henry encourages him henry could just walk away but he doesn't he he tries and and he tries to help ron and ultimately he does help ron and the same thing happens that repeats itself and there is this there is sort of a theme of repetition um, in that season one finale, Henry helps uh, Ron. Season two finale, or the finale of the show as of now, uh, Henry helps Casey. Casey is also having uh, a similar uh, meltdown, questioning her life and her life decisions and her and her dreams. And Henry jumps in the same way. Now they, the two characters, Ron and Henry, have different reactions. I'm sorry, Ron and Casey have different reactions to, to Henry's um, speech, but you have, but Henry tries. And I think, again, that's really one of the endearing elements of the show itself. And then Henry in particular, that um, he tries, he tries to help. Henry is also terminally non-confrontational. And that's a, a frustration that I think he has with himself, but that, you know, with the, me, the us, the viewer, but we can, but I can see myself in him and we can see ourselves uh, in Henry in that, Henry really rarely says um, what he thinks. Um, it rarely says what he feels, his true feelings, um, in moments where he would be vulnerable. Instead, he agrees when really he doesn't agree, um, and he doesn't, you know, he doesn't confront when when he would want to confront, and he holds it in, and uh, and gets hurt and just suffers uh, in in several points, in particularly with his relationship with. Casey. That's one of the driving elements of the show are the relationships. Um, and there's almost an, there's almost an Eastern sort of Buddhist or element to, um, Henry tries, I guess, to non-attachment. He tries, but I don't think he succeeds. I don't believe he's reached a level of enlightenment, or at least to us, the viewers. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm totally misreading it. And, and, and I haven't, and obviously so. So maybe I can't see it in others. But if you think about um, sort of uh, what the Bhagavad Gita and you think about, I'm sorry, I blew that pronunciation, but Vishnu talking to Arjuna and talking about how, you know, you have to stay on your path. And um, there's no satisfaction in abandoning 
uh, your path or our path, you know, my path, your path. Um, Henry's an actor and that's his path. And it's not to say you don't, you don't work the catering job, but there has to be the balance, right? You do, you, you have the catering job, but you also have your acting aspirations. And I think at the end of the series, we see that and we see Henry, um, well, for maybe the first time or one of the first few times, because without acting his path, there's an imbalance, uh, great life lesson, right? If we're too set on the one thing, um, and, and we don't have balance, then, then we're miserable. The other thing is that Henry, um, attempts to have no responsibility whatsoever. And that's just not a realistic path. And, 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 and he has that, um, awareness. The other, and then he wants, like all of us, he wants comfort. He would like the, the, the house and all these things, but he realizes that he's not comfortable not being himself in order to get them. So we, he, at a certain point, he becomes um, a management figure or a supervisor, team leader and of the catering crew. And it's, and he's miserable still. So um, that's that being out of balance. Now he has gone, he's doubled down into the catering, not acting, and he's not happy. Um, although he has maybe some more creature comforts, he's not happy. So this the show has this great lessons about um, how we achieve happiness and the things we need to do. Uh, Henry's relationship with Casey Klein forms one of the three key re- key relationships in the show. Um, and then also he has a relationship, a friendship with uh, uh, Ron Donald, and that really forms another one of the, the three key relationships. The third being uh, Roman De Beers, played by Martin Starr, as I've mentioned, and then Kyle Bradway, played by uh, Ryan Hansen, which I'll talk more about. Uh, the Henry Casey dynamic, it, it, I think, is really excellent, and it drives the show. And they, it's sort of a yin and yang situation because you have Casey as uh, Henry's opposite, opposite in many ways. Um, she is, you know, and and through that, through their relationship together, uh, Casey sort of awakens Henry from his misery, um, even if it's temporarily. Um, and then, you know. On the other hand, he supports her. Uh, the Ron-Henry relationship is really, again, it's really touching. While Henry may not may not admit to being um, Ron's friend, he is. And, and in fact, they're more, they're like brothers, basically. They're there to, they support each other. And it's clear that there's a level um, of, of patience and tolerance that they have with each other that they don't have with anybody else. Um, and when each person is in a position where they could be fired by the other, it doesn't happen. And, and it's clear it would not happen. I say that now and then watching the new series, it does happen, but at least as what we see in uh, seasons one and two. So we'll talk more about Henry later. I think next week I'm going to do more of a deep dive. Talked about some of the character arc and some of the specific moments in the show. But uh, I, I think food for thought is, um, you know, what was Henry like when the commercials, the beer commercials were happening? And he presumably had, you know, more creature conference. He had more money. Um, he's being recognized for the first time. What, what was that like? 
Uh, clearly, didn't, clearly didn't pan out, uh, but I would be curious to see that. And a flashback, what about that? A, a movie, a prequel series or or something uh, for that time period. That would be, that would be excellent. Um, next. All right. Are you ready for this? That's right. It's America's Greatest Living Actor, as I have already established. Uh, Lizzie Kaplan playing Casey Klein. Uh, this performance is electric, and it has to be because the dynamic between Henry and Casey is so important to the show. If Casey wasn't so uh, magnetic, if she wasn't so charismatic, a lot of the arc between the two wouldn't make sense. You would say, why would Henry... Um, go back? Why would he continue to um, long for uh, Casey? Um, but because the performance is so excellent, of course, the writing, is, you know, it's the combination, right? Writing with performance. But because of that, the with the charisma, it makes sense. And you understand the push and pull between the two. And you understand Henry's continued um, attraction in spite of everything that happens between them. Casey, instead of being a former actor she is an aspiring comedian um she's driven uh she's ambitious she tries she seems to be trying the hardest out of all of our main characters maybe other than um kyle bradway she's she says she's going to auditions she has comedy shows um she's busy and she stays busy and she's trying uh she cares the least about the catering job um she is uh Highly intelligent, witty, funny, um, sharp, uh, cutting, um, independent, and she has made the decision to go for it. That's established very, very early on in the show um, that she's going to go for it. She's following her dreams, regardless of what Party Down tells her. Uh, she leaves her husband to stay in the area and to stay in Hollywood to, uh, to, to pursue her dream. She leaves Henry and devastating to Henry. She, she goes, uh, takes a cruise line gig. Um, and she's constantly on the phone. It doesn't matter where, although I would say if you watch closely, that sort of fades away in the second season. Um, in the second episode of the second season, the precious lights preschool option, she's, she's on the phone a lot. Uh, Henry asks her not to be. He's in the team leading position at that point. And if you really pay attention from that point forward, uh, the behavior does change. You don't see it as much. And I think maybe, you know, it's just um, for show purposes. But she does apologize to Henry and apparently means it because she stays off the phone. Or maybe it's just, you know, it wasn't thought about or what have you. But throughout the first season, yeah, that's a constant. She's on the phone. Um and then the second episode of the second season, she's on the phone. But really, other than that, I, it doesn't come up as much uh, until the very final episode. There's one call, a devastating call to her when her dreams start crashing down around her. Some of her decisions, I think, could be viewed as um, uh, unfeeling or, or cold or um, not empathetic. But I, really, there's no malice, I don't think. she. It's, again, she's going for it. And... Uh, doesn't necessarily consider the impact of her decisions on others, or if she does, she doesn't dwell because 
She has a dream. She's following that dream. But even in her uh, arc uh, fits with the, the theme of the show, what I consider the theme of the show, uh, which is community, a supportive community. Because even in the end, um, you see that you know the relationships matter to her. That very final scene of the show, I just have to say, uh, the very final scene of the show she has uh, one line, Casey, uh, Casey Klein, played by Lizzie Kaplan. There's just one line she speaks, and then it's a close-up on her. And you want to talk about an outstanding uh, performance, just a nonverbal, just acting performance. To see, you know, like the camera has done so well, Camerino's directing, sweeps in close, and you see the change in the expression. And uh, I, I think it's one of the best moments of the show. That's uh, so the way to go, Camerino, and way to go, of course, the great Lizzie Kaplan. Uh, as I said earlier, so if you're, you know, rewind the show and you'll hear all uh, all the praise I have for her. Um, and so, again, she, she's she's Henry's opposite in many ways in that she's still aspiring, she's driven, she's assertive, and she's decisive. But even ha having said that, there's still a vulnerability. There's still a need for Henry. Um, when, when they're a relationship or not, there's still, Henry does, um, I think, fill a gap in Casey's life, which is the person who is supportive of her career and her dreams. Um, so that, that push and pull, pull is so important and they do push and pull. They do sort of support each other. Um, they're together, then they're not. Um, she's very guarded and she's guarded in a different way. Henry is guarded in a, I say, non-confrontational way. He's going to agree with you even if he doesn't. Uh, her, her, Casey's guarded in a different way. She's going to be a little, a little more blunt and, and, and tell you no, um, and not express herself. We see a, a whole issue in, um, the high school reunion season one, episode nine, when, uh, she can't necessarily bring herself to tell Henry to stay. Um, and so she does it in a sort of a roundabout way. And, um, it's almost like she surprised herself to have those feelings. Here's a little trivia question for all you out there. Um, what does her life tree say? If you've seen the show, season one, episode seven, which I think is one of the best episodes because I don't know if you've ever been in like team building exercises, which I have. Uh, the absurdity of them is, is I think, accurate, re accurately reflected in the episode. Um, so it's, it, it's really good. And, uh, they draw these life trees. Well, now with the, the miracle of HDTV and being able to pause, you can see what it says on the screen. And a uh, little, little trivia, what does her life tree say? Uh, answer, I believe it says, love you for fun. Uh, take a look at it, people. And if I'm wrong, let me know. But I believe it says, love you for fun. So that's an interesting insight, isn't it, to the character? Okay. All right. Well, I do have a question for you. A food for thought about Casey. And that is, is she actually funny? If you went to her stand-up routine, would you laugh? And I think that's a question that's left open in the show. There's a there's a bit in season two, episode nine, Cole Landry's draft day party, where she's talking about this bit she does of an animatronic love doll or something. The description of it, I don't think is doesn't sound particularly funny. Maybe that's just me. So would you laugh? Well, I mean, if it was Lizzie Kaplan, yeah, because she's very funny. But the, but in the universe of Party Down, 
is she funny? I don't know. And that's what the show does, right? We only know what we know. We only know what we see in front of us. Part of the Henry character, we see him act. And so we're told, you know, we see this, this guy actually does have some acting skill. The rest of them, we don't know because, you know, the only exposure we have to Casey's comedy, would part of that is in season one, episode seven. She writes uh, some jokes which are, which bomb for Rick Fox. Rick Fox as Rick Fox doing a guest spot. All right, next character. Let's put a little music in to break it up a little bit. Okay, next character, Ron Donald, played by the great Ken Marino. Ken Marino, um, as I mentioned earlier, the state, he was one of the stars, writers, um, along with uh, his, his state castmates, many of whom appear in the show, such as Joe Latruglio, Carrie Kenny, um, as I said, David Wayne does uh, directing uh, spot there. Ah, okay. Oh, and Thomas Lennon is in it, uh, season two, episode three. Uh, Ken Marino, um, excellent, excellent actor, and really all-around good guy. There was a whole thing where I think he was just reaching out to people. Like, he he put something up on Twitter. He said, if you you know want me to call you, or I, I'm paraphrasing, but I heard an interview with him, and apparently he really did call all these, all these kind of random people just to be supportive. So, Ken Marino, you're a great guy, man. That really was nice of you to do. So, um excellent actor uh been in a lot of good things i'll tell you what i just watched was a show called um, the other two which is um i think it was on comedy central but you can watch it on hbo max and he's a manager of um chase dreams uh which is uh like a 14 year old pop sensation the other two being his other two siblings that's what the show's about very good show i really liked it i think they're filming the second season so i'm looking forward to that so uh, Ken Marino's great in that. Um, you've seen him in many things like Wanderlust, uh, which I think he helped write and direct, Wet Hot American Summer. Uh, I mentioned The League earlier. He had a role on that. Uh, I think he had a role on Veronica Mars. Uh, of course, and by the way, haven't I can't believe I've gone this long without mentioning Veronica Mars. The showrunners also did Veronica Mars. And so you see a lot of people, I guess, who are on that, um, on this uh, as well. This being party down, of course. Uh, but yeah, so Ken Marino, really outstanding. If something has him in it, just go ahead and watch it. He's he he's got that kind of he's got that kind of skill. But uh, I don't know if that's the most current thing he's in. The other two, but uh, I would give a pitch for that. I think it's pretty good, and uh, it's on HBO. And his performance is excellent in that. It's a it's a a strange character, and he does it so well. Um, this manager of this. Uh, teen pop sensation he delivers um oh man i can't believe i failed to say this here's what you need to see you yes you uh here's what you need to see it's a show called burning love if you need to laugh today if you say today whatever day it is you're hearing this i need to laugh in fact i need to laugh out loud okay not just internally i need to I need to verbalize some laughter, okay? I need my house to shake. Well, maybe that you wouldn't do that, but uh, I, I need to laugh. Burning Love. It was a show that um, he did with his wife, I believe. His wife directed it, and maybe they wrote it together. I'm sorry if I'm misstating that. But uh, it had three seasons, 
and uh, it's a bachelor bachelorette takeoff and you can rent it on amazon each season as one almost like a movie uh and man i'll tell you it is hilarious season one ken marino is is the bachelor character season two it's uh it's a different uh person um it's a bachelorette situation with uh june diane Raphael, i believe is her name who is great and then season three is like uh it's it's kind of a combined thing to get uh money it, it, it's really really funny michael ian black who we talked about earlier is the host and it's the funniest thing i've seen in a long time i didn't see it when it was out i think it was like a web show but um a couple months ago we we, we watched all three of them and i mean there's moments of just laughing to, to tears it really really was funny so highly recommended also ryan hansen who plays uh Kyle Bradway, one of the main characters of, of uh, Party Down, is in uh, two of the three seasons. And then Martin Starr, uh, is in, uh, who plays Roman De Beers, is in season two, I believe. So um, that is a hilarious show. Burning Love. Back to Ron Donald. He has a lot to do in this show. Uh, Ron Donald is a character that I think really goes on the, 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 the most drastic journey of all. Uh, Ken Marino is asked to do a lot and he comes through. It is a difficult performance because Ron's journey is <laughs> physically punishing. Uh, he, he takes the most abuse uh, in the show. Um, second would be, I guess, Kyle Bradway. But uh, Ron gets beat up quite a bit, but then physically and emotionally. Uh, physically, he takes uh, hits to the groin, uh, all kinds of things happen to him. But then uh, emotionally, uh, we see him get devastated more than once. In fact, um, Ron, at, Ron has a cycle of uh, rebirth. When the show starts, we learn that he has partied for most of his life, but he's got it together. And now he's uh, proud to be the team leader of Party Down. He's got aspirations. He wants to run his own uh, soup franchise, which is another running joke in it super crackers um and he seeks management he seeks sort of objective signs of authority as a way to to prove to the world look I, that I, i'm i'm doing better right i'm i'm doing good quote unquote and it's understandable isn't it i mean so he he's saying he wants to point to i have this job that means i'm doing well uh, that makes sense. The problem is uh, the world doesn't necessarily see it that way. Um, we see his rebirth and when the show starts or we learn of it, but then we see his subsequent uh, spiritual death. Uh, he goes to his high school graduation. He's, the, he's catering. He thinks that they'll be proud of him for being a team leader. They're not. They're cruel. And he is devastated and he falls apart. But then he gets his dream, he gets the restaurant, and that doesn't work out. He's devastated and he falls apart and he cycles back down and then he's reborn. Uh, literally, well, not literally, but there's a whole scene where he's in a coffin. He's locked in a coffin. When he is freed from the coffin, he is reborn. And uh, we see a great character arc because he, he stops being obsessed with the overt um, signs of, of success and 
follows his heart. He, he, he gets in a relationship with someone he really loves and cares about, and he's okay, you know? But even in that, of course, they still fight at the end. But that, that's, a great, that's a great ending scene there. But, you know, it's understandable. He, he has a journey that we can relate to. He's not seeking, uh, you know, fame in, uh, in Hollywood. He is seeking fortune. Um, ultimately, Ron cares, and he's punished for that. We see that throughout. Having said that, you do see a respect for him that grows throughout the second season because he goes so low that when he pulls himself up, uh, you can see that Henry and Casey, who normally just would only take shots at him, um, respect that on some level. Uh, Casey ex- making explicit reference to that at the end of uh, Steve Gutenberg's uh, birthday, season two, episode five. And so he, he's reborn. And, and Ron teaches us to keep trying. And that, uh, you know, what, what doesn't work in one phase, uh, try something else. Start a new start a new cycle. Uh, he and Henry, that relationship is really um, one of the emotional cores, as I talked about. They're like brothers. Um, they support each other. And really, Ron has patience with Henry as an employee, as his uh, subordinate employee. And then Henry will not let Ron completely fall apart. He does his best to help him, in particular in season one episode 10 the the finale it's a really um it's a devastating episode for henry because um what happens with casey she she gets a different job Um, but it's a really touching episode for henry because he is there for ron he does everything he can to help ron not fail and that carries over into season two um Unfortunately, Henry sort of punished for it because Ron gives him a hard time. He says he's paying him back, but there is a there is a, a brotherly love between them, and uh, and it carries on throughout. And it really forms a, that, that it, it's really the great example of the community of of the empathy. Um, and so you know, just to the brilliance of the show, I have to say. Um, Again, that the funeral episode, which really is Ron's episode, season two, episode four, Ron um, lamenting what it, you know, what happens at our, what happens at our funeral? What are who shows up? What's said? Um, legacy and 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 what are the things that we go to the grave being proud of? Uh, all this in a comedy show, I might add, folks. Um, and then at season one, episode ten, when when he gives this this. He's in the back of a van. Everything's falling apart. He is, he he, he has crumbled as a person because he's been rejected uh, publicly by his peers at the reunion, and um, he he paid for a motivational system. It doesn't work because he's challenged. Uh, he, he sees this other catering crew, um, and he sees his own shortcomings. Henry jumps in. You know, Henry telling him the, the Journey song, Don't Stop Believing, and that gets through to him. Why does it get through to him? Not because of the words, but because of the messenger. He believes Henry. He trusts Henry in that way. And so that is, you know, again, just an example of funny, devastating, thought-provoking. Um, 
we learned that he, he ran the, the soup restaurant for six months and it went under. So he got it. He got what he wanted. But now it sets another spiral. So it's it's a really great performance. The show asks a lot of Ken Marino as Ron Donald. And he delivers. Thank you, sir. All right. Music next. Kyle Bradway, played by Ryan Hansen. It's really an excellent performance. I know you've heard me say that 27 times. I'm going to say it 27 more times. Sorry about that. Um, it's it's really an underrated performance, maybe. I don't know. I, I just I think it should be rated higher, even if it's rated high, because he's a rock, uh, Ryan Hansen as Kyle Bradway. He delivers in every, in every episode. Uh, he's like a glue guy. Um, he kind of holds the show together. The, the deadpan delivery. Uh, a great example, if you see season two, episode eight, Joel Munt's Big Deal Party, that's Kyle's episode. Kyle is the key to making that episode work. He's in all the plot lines, and he's funny in all of them. Uh, I think Ryan Hansen is really excellent. He did a, a web show called, um, I think, Ryan Hansen Solves Crime on TV. It was a YouTube uh, TV show. I've seen the free ones. I haven't seen the paywall ones. Sorry, Ryan Hansen. I like the ones that I saw that were, <laughs> that were free, but um, very funny. Uh, as I said, he's in Burning Love seasons two and three. Um, man, I think he should be given everything. I think he should be the star of all the Marvel movies, particularly you know the the, the comedy and all that stuff. Who's better than him? Who? Nobody. That's who. Uh, give give <laughs> give Ryan Hansen. Any role he wants, okay? He is hilarious. And I think he has some of the funniest moments. All of the musical um, elements, because so Kyle Bradway's character is an aspiring actor, uh, but he's also a model. He's a, he's a handsome guy, and that's kind of his thing. Is He just he believes because he looks good he's going to make it. Um, he's also in the band, Karma Rocket. And uh, I think some of the funniest moments in the show are the the Ryan Hansen musical moments. In the first episode, he's singing to uh, the daughter um, of the homeowners. Uh, that's hilarious. My, the my struggle part in this in the finale, season two, episode ten, I think might be the funniest moment in the entire show um, because of the. The way it's written, I mean, the, the time, the context, the lack of self-awareness, the performance, um, it's just, you watch it unfold, and it's, it's, it's a really memorable moment. Um, and then with Ron, played by Ken Marino, there's a blues moment in season two, episode four at the funeral that is very, very funny, and... Uh, the pop a lock moment. Henry in season two, episode eight. Henry asks Kyle to pop a lock, and he means a lock in the van, and got a little dance moves busted out, and it is very funny. So, I, who else could play this role? I don't know. And that's the thing about the show, and I think that's really to the credit of what makes it like all time great, in my opinion, is because every one of these performers um, every one of these actors you say who else could play that role they just nail it you know that could it work without them i don't think so um i know all these other big name people so if you read the history we're supposed to play it but these actors are the characters uh 
Uh, he's not the, the brightest guy, uh, Kyle Bradway. I would say, though, his intelligence kind of varies episode to episode. He picks up on things you wouldn't expect him to. He does not pick up on other things. So, you know, in his mind, he's quote-unquote deep uh, to the rest of us, and particularly to Henry and Casey, he is not. Um, very charismatic. People like him. Um, there's a decency to him. Even, you know, he... And it, you learn it very early on, um, season one, uh, episode four, the investors dinner, uh, this guy's picking on, um, uh, Constance Carmel played by Jane Lynch and he steps in. And that's one of the things when I talk about it being a community, they, in a, in a de facto family, they fight with each other, but outsiders are not allowed to, if an outsider messes with them, they step in and, um, uh, he he's trying to i think he's you if you're ranking who's who's actually working the hardest to achieve their goals you might rank him second to casey because he does have a band they do play he does have auditions he has had parts he is trying but he's also um a guy who believes in uh, any means necessary. We learned that he has used his body to achieve, achieve um, to get cast and roles, and he, he doesn't hesitate to do that. Uh, there is an unwavering confidence, unwavering except for one particular moment in the show. It does waver. Um, season two, episode three, and that's another one of the great touching moments. Uh, Kyle, who has is generally unshakable. He believes in himself. He just knows he's gonna. He knows he's gonna succeed. He's good looking, and that means he's gonna make it in his mind. Um, and he gets shaken. He gets shaken by another aspiring actor who uh, is is pretty is jaded by the process. And she is able to get through to him that it's not a it's not a done deal that you're gonna make it. And amazingly, Roman, played by Martin Starr, who is generally cruel in the show, um, mean, uh, and mean to Kyle, he's there for him. And it really may becomes one of the most touching moments is, uh, Roman could allow Kyle to fall apart completely, but he doesn't. He steps in, even if he doesn't believe what he's saying, he still says the words to encourage Kyle. And that's what was needed to get through it. And because of that, that's just an example that Kyle and Roman, they have the third key relationship in the, in the show. You've got Henry Casey, Henry Ron, and then Kyle and Roman. And you could almost say they're frenemies. They fight, they argue, um, they take shots at each other. Roman, uh, particularly taking shots and physically taking shots. Um, but in the end they support each other. Even Kyle, who, who, Roman hits throughout the show when it comes down to it season two episode eight that's where Roman hits a low point his former writing partner is now successful and he's catering the event uh Kyle steps up and helps Roman and again I just want to say each one of these characters we'll talk about in depth more at a later time but you see um these different uh life philosophies assuming i will you know someone assuming that they will succeed and what happens when what happens when reality creeps through that it's it's not a done deal well you better hope you have somebody there that cares you better hope you have somebody there to support you uh, important life takeaway 
in my opinion. All right, next, a little music. Okay, uh, Roman De Beers, played by Martin Starr. This is another person that you have to praise the performance because I can't imagine anyone else playing this part. Um, Martin Starr, who you might know from Silicon Valley, he played um, Bertram Guilfoyle. Definitely different, though, than this because Guilfoyle is uh, very reserved in a way that uh, Roman is not, but they both certainly t do their share of attacking verbally, attacking others. Um, as I mentioned earlier, at length, uh, he's in Save the Date, and that really is a memorable performance because it's so different than uh, Roman. It's so different than Guilfoyle. There's no, you know, there's there's no attacking. He, he's just a nice guy in that movie. He's a drummer, and uh, it's a totally different performance, and I really think it's worth seeing. Roman, uh, whereas Henry, the quote-unquote failed actor, Casey, aspiring comedian, Ron, aspiring, you know, management, uh, managerial aspirations, whatever. Um, Roman is the writer, and he's an aspiring writer, and it, it's it's great because it adds a different element. Roman has a superiority complex, you know, in his mind, he's the creator, whereas um, the actors are the actors, right? Uh, Roman believes he's above everybody. It's pretty clear. Um, as I said earlier, he's the uh, he's the he's Henry's opposite. Henry being miserable but not spreading the misery. Roman un undoubtedly spreading the misery, attacking people. Um, uh, not a lot of empathy in the first season, in particular. Uh, I'll just be honest. He's creepy in the first season. This is an unlikable character throughout most of the first season. The character does grow, though. You know, there, in particularly in the second season, he becomes, I think, a little more human, and you see him do actually nice things uh, and be there for uh, for Kyle, um, and and you also see that he'll only go so far with Kyle, and so you see that shift, and by the end of it, by the end of the show, um, I think you have a very different opinion. If you've only seen season one, uh, your opinion will be very different than. Roman as a whole after season two he 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 grows I think and so that's 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 important uh but like I say he can be, he's super creepy in the first season has some really uh, uncomfortable moments hilarious though he has some of the best dialogue in the show anytime he's giving sort of a rant about um corporate life uh I think it's some of the best dialogue by far uh I love it I love I love uh the message but uh, the messenger certainly has some creepy moments. The dancing with um, with the sixteen year old at the sweet sixteen party, season one, episode six. So again, he he's by far the least likable. He's written that way. But if you watch the whole series, I think that changes a bit because there is a progression. There is a humanizing um, of the show. He's very rigid in his belief system. He he believes in hard sci-fi right that uh, there has to be some sort of scientific principle to the very store to the various stories and so we learn about the dangers of rigidity because uh he misses out on opportunities because of that rigidity he has a chance to uh, be with a, a 
beautiful actress there or a porn star in season one, episode five. And because she references uh, dragons in sci-fi, he, that's it. She's done to him. Um, so you, you, you see this, this morality tale almost of uh, the dangers of not being flexible, the dangers of being set on a, um, a rigid belief system and what you miss in doing that. Um, he also has a way of minimizing everything around and it's sort of a matter of convenience, right? So if someone is successful, it's just, it's just random, um, him not being successful. It's also just random, but at the same time, he's sure he's going to be successful, but then he's not sure. And, uh, he can kind of justify or explain away any situation to fit his particular narrative. Uh, again, the Roman Kyle relationship is 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 key, um, <laughs> and anyone who is successful, right? They're a sellout. That's a, a recurrent theme. So I have a food for thought question: If Roman were successful, if what he writes and uh, the story he writes, season two, episode ten, um, if if that was published, if it was a hit, uh, would he hate himself for selling out? <laughs> That's food for thought. All right, we're down to our last two main characters. And these are sort of shorter ones in that Constance Carmel, played by Jane Lynch, um, was in the show, was on the show, season one, uh, episodes one through eight, and then returns season two, episode 10. And uh, that's because of the show Glee. Again, that vulture history has all the stuff that you need. It's going to explain everything. But um, this is a different character. Uh, than the rest we've described in that there isn't necessarily so much of an an arc with Constance. She is sort of constant in that she considers herself an actor still, even though to our knowledge, when the show starts, she's a little bit older than the rest of the ca- the, the crew members. Um, she used to have parts in B-movies, um, from what we can tell, and, and kind of extra parts on shows. Um, to my knowledge and paying attention to the show, I don't think she's had any parts recently. Um, but she takes a lot of pride in being an actor. Um, she's generally nice to people. Um, she has a eternal optimism. And so that's where I say it's a little bit different in that the other characters kind of have their ups and downs, but Constance does not really have that as much. Um, she has just a mental defense to sort of block out negative parts of reality. Even though she's directly confronted with them throughout, she she does, she sort of takes in what what she wants to hear and and doesn't and leaves the rest as they say. Um there's sort there's so there's sort of a disconnect. Um she also has some shallow tendencies, popularity is important to her, fame is important to her. She holds, you know, acting as, as a the craft. It's, it's above everything else, I think, in her mind. Um, to be somebody to her, you have to be an actor. Um, and I think, she t- you know, Henry is someone that she is nice to, but also sort of takes shots at in that he gave up, which to her is, is unimaginable. Uh, I think she has one of, the, one of the best moments in the show, which happens in season one, episode two. 
and that's when she's telling the story about um you know uh, a, a guy who never gave up uh, although he never made it as an actor but she's she's it's, it's, it's supposed to be sort of an encouraging speech or story to henry and it's not um talking about dreams as a life force i think it's one of the great moments in the show uh her performance adam scott's reaction casey you know played by lizzie kaplan uh her sitting there her standing there watching it all it's one i think it's 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 incredible and so credit to jane lynch for that that uh, that moment um here i'm gonna get i'm gonna take a little twist though on you um Again, this is where we're talking about a comedy show with with these really serious elements to it. Um, as I mentioned with the Casey character, um, in season one, episode seven, the corporate retreat, the the team, the Party Down crew has a, they do the life trees. Well, through HDTVs, if you press pause, um, it turns out that uh, there's actually a pretty sad backstory with Constance because there's a reference, if you read it, the life tree says, uh, I'm stronger for having been molested by grandpa. Okay. So this um, ability to uh, block out um, the negatives or things appears to be a self-defense mechanism. The life tree also talks about, <laughs> I'm listed on IMDb. So again, you see that she um, derives self-worth from at least having acted. Um, that is... That's the pinnacle, I think, in her mind of 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 art. Uh, so she is a kind person. She cares about others. Um, she um, again, she's. I think the caveat is when you watch season two, episode ten, the wedding. There are some slight differences in the character in that, um, for the first time, you you sort of see a little bit of insecurity in that. Um, uh, there's kind of a running gag of Megan Mullally plays the character uh, Lydia Dunfrey, who replaces uh, Constance both in the Party Down crew and then that role um, re replaces Jane Lynch's role. And so Constance's character in the wedding episode is she takes shots directly at uh, Lydia. She threatens her. And the two of them form, even though they're on screen together, only the one episode, they also form sort of a, um, a parallel, whereas you have the Hen, you know, Henry not spreading misery, uh, Roman spreading misery. You have Constance has eternal optimism, follow your heart, and then you have Lydia as the more grounded, uh, be practical. That's the line. I mean, it's explicit. They have a conversation um, in which one presents, you know, each side. So it, the show is very explicit that these two characters represent these sort of um, different viewpoints of life. Uh, do you seek something stable or do you take a chance and go for it? So, uh, you know, Constance, again, great performance. And there's a lot more going on there than what's on the surface. I mean, she seems spacey, uh, some might say. Um, but the disconnect is apparently, you know, rooted in some real pain. So, uh, check out the life tree, do it, do it. You're going to see a whole, uh, you know, it, it brings a whole other element to the character. Um, I would say the one thing is with her, there's, 
some episodes she's more featured more prominently than others. Um, like season one, episode five, the sensation awards, she's barely in it. And I don't know if that had to do with, um, just not being able to write something, balancing the different things, or if there was, uh, you know, a scheduling issue or what it was. But, um, I think the, the Cal, the second episode, which is the California conservatives, um, meeting, that's really, that might be the greatest, um, Constance performance. She's really great in that, uh, there's a lot for her to do. Um, this celebrate Ricky Sargulish season one, episode eight. She's excellent in and, and really featured prominently. And the wedding, ah, that might top them all. Uh, the wedding, which is the, you know, the finale as of now, as of May, 2021, um, it's her wedding. And, uh, man, every, she, she, she just shines every, every moment she's on the screen because, you see more of the character, you know, she, she's marrying this guy because she wants the opportunity to get a, another role. Um, and she is pelted by doubts by Casey, but she rolls with all of it. So, um, the other thing is, um, she has quite a history of, uh, substance abuse, getting high, um, a lot and, uh, different, um, uh, I guess sexual exploits, you might say. So it'd be curious if they do the reboot reboot ten years later. Uh, what state is Constance in? Love to see. I'd love to find out. Well, we'll see. Um, maybe that would be a whole episode predictions. What would happen ten years later? Because here's one. Are you ready for this? Out of nowhere, without context. I think at some point you would have Casey as the team leader, because there's just kind of this cycle, right? Of uh, Ron had his time as a team leader you had henry as team leader i think that uh you would see casey what would that be like imagine that i don't know so uh just food for thought all right last but not least lydia dunfrey megan mullally as lydia dunfrey megan mullally great comedic actor um I mentioned earlier Children's Hospital. Very funny in that. Um, I think known mainstream for being in a network show called Will and Grace. Um, and she joined in season two and she ends up, you know, as I said, uh, Jane Lynch leaves. She becomes the sort of full-time char- character there. Uh, season one, episode nine and ten, you had Jennifer Coolidge as Bobby St. Clair. Uh, playing sort of a version of Constance Carmel. Very funny, though. But this Lydia character is distinct and great. I think really adds to the the chemistry or the mix because Lydia um, is not aspiring to be an actor. Lydia is not aspiring to be a writer. Uh, Lydia is not aspiring aspiring to be um, in food service management, but she do, she is, um, I guess you'd say, a stage mom. And she's trying to manage her daughter. She wants her daughter escapade to be successful. So she, when the show starts, or when we meet her in season two, she has left her husband in from Wapato, they say. Folks, I have to tell you, um, she serves in many ways as our surrogate for commoners like myself in the middle of America who have never been to L.A., at least as of right now, May of 2021. People who have never been to L.A., she sort of serves as a surrogate. She goes there with, you know, open eyes and she's in awe of, of what she's seeing and experiencing. Um, 
So she brings a practical element. She's a she's a common person, and you know, she knows football. She knows uh, kegs and all kinds of things. And they make a point of talking about that. That she brings this different element. Um, she's she's not she's not native to L.A. She's not native to the ways of L.A. or at least what we see on TV, right? Um, and so uh, it's it's it, it's an interesting character, and it's. It's really perfect for the mix. Um, but on the other hand, she is a stage mom and she wants her daughter to succeed. Uh, so she has that same ambition, but it's just for someone else. Uh, she also wants to profit from that. Um, she puts her daughter's success ahead of her daughter's well-being. Uh, we learned that she, I believe she has, they got the eyebrows tattooed. Now, of course, we, we see Escapade in season two, episode uh, seven, the party down, uh, picnic, the company picnic, but, um, we don't see tattooed eyebrows, obviously, but, uh, that's referenced later on in uh, season two, episode nine in the draft party. It is referenced that there are tattooed eyebrows. So, um, hilarious character. Um, she, st- she seeks stability, basic comfort. She wants a home. She wants cable. She wants insurance. Um, and so settling is acceptable. That is an acceptable option to Lydia if it brings stability with it. Um, so in, so again, you know, she she's sort of Constance's counterpoint. Constance has that relentless optimism. Um, and Lydia is talking about being practical and settling if it's going to bring you stability. Uh, there's a fairly sad backstory. I mean, Lydia, we, we hear, has been, uh, you know, the subject to emotionally abusive relationships with her mother and her ex-husband. Um, we're not, you know, it doesn't sound like she's had a lot of healthy relationships. Um, but she's trying, she's cheerful. She's, uh, positive. Um, she is lonely. Opportunities to be stable, uh, by being in a relationship are definitely something she's looking for. Uh, but in the end, um, she takes a chance. She, she goes against her own, advice of, of going with somebody who's going to make you stable by going with the company owner or soon to be form, former company owner who is, uh, getting divorced and broke. So we learn. So, um, she does have an arc and I, I think she brings a lot to the second season and important, again, important life lessons. She's there to sort of counterbalance. People have these dreams. They're, they're talking all these things and she's talking about being down to earth. Um, Having said that, she is a dreamer as well. You know, she talks to Steve Gutenberg at his birthday, season two, episode five, about what she's going to do when she strikes it rich. So she ha- does have that element of, yeah, but I'm going to strike it rich. Um, or maybe it's first, I'm going to strike it rich. Yeah, but I need to, I need stability. I need to, I need to have a house. Um, and what I think she talks about, you need cable and a house and insurance. Um, all important things, in my view. So uh, she brings that sort of uh, common everyman element, uh, everyman and woman type element to it. So um, right there. All right. That was so long, and I'm so sorry about that. So there it is, an overview of the characters, just a brief overview of the show, Um in the weeks to come, I'm going to go over a, a specific topic each time, you know, talk about Henry, talk about Casey, 
talk about certain episodes, um, talk about, uh, I don't know, vomit. You could do a whole discussion on vomit because that's a recurrent theme, which only makes sense, right? At parties and people are drinking and all those things. Um, what's the takeaway? Um, there is fulfillment to be found in the moment, in the process, in following your path, in trying. Do try, keep trying, support each other. Um, ultimately, I think the takeaway, for me at least, is relationships and community, supportive relationships are more rewarding than wealth or fame. Easy to say for someone who doesn't have them, right? Um, not that wealth and fame are inherently bad, but it matters how you attain them. And that's what I appreciate about the show. Um, Henry has opportunities to have stability and it's just not worth it to him. There's something else that matters more than just getting the corporate job. So don't sell your soul and do hold on to your friends. All right, folks. Thank you very much. If you've stuck with me through this, you're a good person. <laughs> if you didn't, it doesn't mean you're a bad person. So don't crack up. Let's keep trying and let's have more episodes. All right. Till next time. Don't crack up. Don't crack up.